Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome back. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. What do you say we surf on over to their website and see what they have to offer right now live in real time? I am seeing, first thing I'm seeing is the bag of 30 presents out. What's right around the corner? Christmas somehow. And I am sure since Thanksgiving just occurred, the velocity of Christmas lights going up is going to be startling. I guess you could get this bag to go along with that. What else do they have? The Black Friday sale, up to 50% off on the site-wide sale using the code Black Friday. This comes out on Monday, and I feel like this sale may continue up until Monday. If not, well, you're kind of on your own. As we scroll down, the roast sliding bar. On the left is the light. On the right is the extra dark. Follow your heart in whichever direction you prefer your coffee. And then everything below that is what I would recommend you use for people in your life who you don't have a gift for yet, who are coffee fans. I've had a, quite a few people reach out um, down here, this comp, uh, coffee sampler. It's a great gift. And just to the left of that, the coffee bundles. But honestly, anything on this page, if you have somebody in your like, and, and somebody in your like, somebody in your life who enjoys the brand, you're going to find everything that you could possibly need. So surf on over to Black Rifle Coffee dot com and shop to your heart's content. My guests today, that's right, plural, Jack Murphy and Dave Park. They host a podcast called the Team House Podcast. And a few months ago, I was invited to go on and I did. And it was amazing to me the feedback I got from people. They thought it was going to be antagonistic in some way. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the two current hosts or the fact that the podcast is occasionally critical of the SEAL community, but I'll say they're critical of the special operations community, of which the SEAL community is a part of that. And uh, anybody who knows anything about me or my own podcast, I can be critical at times as well. So that doesn't bother me. And I'm also open to talking to anybody, whether they share my opinion or if they don't share my opinion, if they share my experiences or don't share my experiences. So I had a great time on their podcast, and I invited them to come on to mine. And for people who thought it was going to be contentious, yeah, it's not. We had a fantastic multiple-hour conversation, which I'll let you get into. Episode 313 with Jack Murphy and Dave Park. Enjoy. Okay, I got the red smoke. So to say before you know, we're talking about studio setups, go on old YouTube and check out the AI backdrops now. All you need is about four inches of headspace and lateral space. And if you can put it on a consistent colorway, the rest of the shit you can do in Photoshop through generative AI. And you can completely change the backdrop of almost any podcast. So it's you, you have a live, a very small live section. And as long as you, if you were to move out of it, like your shoulder would disappear. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as long as you stay inside of that section, so you could obviously make it a little bit bigger, you can, compl like, the game is changing rapidly. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so you could do it on both of you, and you would look like you're in Paris, yes. and he'd look like he's in Detroit. And, and we would need to probably go... Maybe green would be the correct background, but if it was like white behind both of us or a gray color, you could match it with the generative AI. And I'm watching people like, put a bookshelf up, put a window that's overlooking a 
uh, park in Switzerland with snow in the spring, and this shit is cranking out wow. photorealistic stuff. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like the I, stuff of Hollywood movies, maybe ten years ago, yeah. people are able to do with a laptop. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you've seen any of the like the shorts that they've done with AI, but you can't even tell them apart now. I oh, mean, with like from, the face swap, yeah, stuff? or the the face swap. Some of the um, sometimes they do the overlays, like I saw an awesome um, uh, uh, Army of Dead. You know, uh, ask, or was it uh, Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Dead? Okay, somebody like redid the whole scene i think they just basically did an animation an ai animation over the actual thing so it looked almost like a cgi or animated movie but it's just the movie that they did sort of an ai layover on it's incredible here's the question with ai that scares the shit out of me <clears throat> i don't think we're going to work for robots like i don't think we'll be changing their oil or hydraulic fluid or whatever it is but if an AI program hits the wild that can generate information that people can't distinguish from being true, right? I think we're fucked. Because people don't seem to have the interest, time, awareness, or quite frankly, intelligence. Not judging everybody with that, but there are some people out there who are pretty dumb-dumb. Um, I really worry. That's what I worry about AI is informational warfare, not a, uh, what was it, Michael T-1000? I don't, yeah, know, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking So Skynet. Yeah, he just, basically. He's, yeah. He just turned 24. All right. The reference, I, I made a reference earlier today that went completely over his head. It was Fabio. He's just like, I don't know who Fabio is. I'm like, fuck. I can't believe it's not butter. Have you ever watched The Terminator? That's what, yeah. that's what Andy said, too. <laughs> Have you ever watched The Terminator? Nope. What the fuck? I'm familiar with the terminology of Skynet, though. And how can you be familiar with the terminal? What does Skynet mean to you? Um, it's like this basically all-encompassing internet thing that is works all security cameras and security devices, blah, blah, blah. And it's run by the government. <sighs> Arguably one of the worst answers I've yeah, ever that's heard. Not, that's not really, no. No. Skynet was more when the machines became self-aware and went to war. No, he's fucking. Never mind. He's looking at <laughs> I, was, I was still listening. Yeah, you're fine. Just look it up, Dick. <laughs> Your homework for tonight is to watch Star with Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it actually, the first one does a really good job. Sarah Connor is another person that's in there. It does a good job of explaining what Skynet is. And a lot of people use that as the analogy for the modern AI. Mm. I don't think it will go that far, but the informational warfare portion of it. I'm concerned about. Well, I, I also think one of the challenges is that the AI, it develops its behaviors by learning too. So so the AI doesn't necessarily have all the facts. It basically digests what's out there yeah. in order to create it, its learning. And we're even seeing it, even with like ChatGPT and other things, where it will not necessarily give uh, correct answers or it will... It will give biased answers yep. based on the people who set up the learning mo uh, model for it. So, you know, if you have an AI that advances and gets into the wild, like you say, and has skewed ideas of of what's of what's real and what's not, then it doesn't even come down to us like needing to fact check it. It's it's like what what is it thinking? What is it doing? And what is it basing its assumptions off of? My guess. And I hate to be a betting man on this subject, would be a nation state will use an AI platform for informational warfare purposes. I don't know. Well, fuck, for one, I'm not knowledgeable on the subject. So it may, once it is released into the wild, maybe that's like 
mm-hmm. that's the watershed event. You can't bring it back. Mm-hmm. But I can certainly see a country like Korea or North Korea or China using it as an informational warfare tool. Yeah. Whether or not they'd let it completely off the chain, I'm not sure. So then they would just be feeding it whatever they want right. to. Right, exactly. Which is pretty scary given that a lot of people, their bandwidth is short because their time is compressed and they don't spend a lot of time looking into the things that they see. And some of that shit's pretty good. Do you guys use AI at all for I, your show? Not for our show. I mean, like, I mean, even in the research or the show notes or any of that stuff? No, we haven't been. Have you been using it for your show? I've been playing around with ChatGPT. I'll often ask it for suggestions on a podcast title and a description. Uh-huh. And then MidJourney is an interesting um, tool for a background image. You know, you can pull stills off of the show, but if you want to change the background out, it's incredibly responsive, and the better you get at understanding the prompts that you put into it, the, obviously the net result you get out of that is quite good. So I don't yeah. rely on it heavily, but I started messing around with it because I didn't understand it at all, and I'm not claiming to by any stretch. I have a very baseline level from a user perspective understanding of what it's capable for. Yeah, It's pretty cool, though, and it can save you time. Yeah. It, I mean, Jack is a journalist. Like, I mean, he could probably chime in more, but I... Like one of the challenges, like you look at social media and you see something and, you know, we, we you kind of talk about people don't take the time to research, but sometimes you see one post and it, it'll take you 30 minutes to, if you want to do your own verification, yeah. you know, and pull the image and then do a reverse image search and find out when that image was first published and if it really is what people said it was. And, you know, we're seeing all types of reporting, uh, not even, I don't even want to say they're influencers. They're just people trying to report the truth, getting sucked in to thinking that, you know, a, an image, an old image of something is a new image. You know, we saw that video saying that, oh, you know, uh, Marines have just landed in Israel when it was like the army landing in Romania two years ago or whatever, you know. My dad likes to do that shit. He's in his <laughs> mid-70s. Many times we've had a conversation like, hey, uh, that Facebook post that you just shared, because it's the only platform he understands still, that's from a satirical website, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> those, those, long, those long emails that you get from like your friends that are in their 70s yeah. that are like, you know. I actually don't have any friends in my 70s for clarity, but. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know quite a, quite a few people uh, through various things that I do and. They, um, yeah, you get that long email chain about how, you know, communism is invading through the southern border into America. and The, the emergency tr- broadcast system, and we're yeah. all waiting for the general to flip uh, the switch. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, again, I think we still have a large amount of, we're superpower still from a military perspective, comparatively, but... If you can bypass that superpower and just go directly to people's anxiety rectangles, right. yeah, right, right, yeah, it's like holy shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You I don't know how that move, move the population. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, rapidly. As a as a podcaster, do you consider yourself a journalist? Do you consider yourself in the media industry? It's a good question, um, and I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't, I don't report anything live. So I can't I would not consider myself to be in the news world, meaning this is happening right now and I'm gonna try to be the first person to report that story. Mm-hmm. I appreciate people who do participate in that. I have no desire to do that. But I've recorded episodes where I'm I'm well ahead and they'll sit in the bank for four to six weeks. So I'm definitely not in the breaking category. I don't know the 
I mean, you. I know you're a journalist. I don't know what the actual definition of where the boundaries on that are. I, I don't know that anybody necessarily does nowadays. But I mean, what, the same thing with the podcast we do. I mean, we don't do breaking news. Yeah, that's not really what we're trying to do. We don't do like current events really on there. We'll we'll have we have had people on who have like served in Ukraine yeah. or uh, or you know people who are area specialists, but it's more for like a historical even if it's current history more from his, a historical or a perspective view, yeah. yeah than um, than sort of like this is our opinion. Uh, so is that journalism or is it education? Or is it both? Yeah. I don't know where, I don't, I honestly, I couldn't give you a hard left and right bracket for journalism. I don't even consider myself to be a podcaster. To me, that's just a weird term. Yeah. It's one of the things that I fell into years ago. Um, I don't even know how I would describe it. I mean, I love sitting down talking with people about things that they're passionate about. And I think that's because I learn from that and I enjoy the process of learning. Um, and I think other people do as well. And it just happens to be one of these mediums where people can do it kind of mindlessly. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about podcasting. I, I remember the first few times I ever listened to a podcast, I was mowing my lawn <laughs> or, you know, yeah. something that I could physically do something and my brain is occupied elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, you can't read a book and do, well, I guess you could, you might cut your toes off or drive your car directly into traffic. So it's one of the interesting mediums that doesn't require that much attention. And you can learn a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've learned a fuck ton from some of the guests that I have had on. Yeah. Um, earlier today, I was talking with uh, Vincent Vargas. You know, he wrote a book about the, his time in the Border Patrol and just talking about the whole process from when somebody is actually contacting Border Patrol until when they get released into the ICE system. Uh-huh. Because people look at the Border Patrol and they say, well, you guys are, you guys are fucking up the policy. Like, we didn't write this policy. We execute the policy to the best of our ability in the court system and all of that stuff that's passed over to ICE. People don't know that. I'm like, fuck, I didn't really know that either. So yeah. I don't I don't know where we exist. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh how, you know. Where, how do you guys think about it from your own show? Uh well, I think that there's definitely like a, a, a real historical value to it. And I one of my like, you know, I this sounds very like attaboy, patent or self-congratulatory, but I mean I, I always wanted it to be to the point where someone who's writing a term paper in college, somebody who's writing a thesis paper, like they, that they would be able to look at this as a source, like a legitimate primary source, because you're talking to the guy, right? It's not you or my, myself or Dave sitting there opining on things. We get the guy who is there and interview him about whatever that thing was. And so it becomes a primary source document that people can reference. So does that have like historical and journalistic value? I, ho- I hope so. I yeah. really hope so. Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for me, it was just uh, it's it's just fascinating. It, it's just so awesome to be able to sit down with people, whether you know, I, I one of the people that I talk about often is Marty Peterson, who was the first female case officer to work behind the lines in the Soviet Union. You know, and sounds fun. And and she she wasn't given any like surveillance initially because their thought was she's a woman. Of course she's of course she's not a case officer. Very progressive thinking, right? Yeah, right. They, they they used it against them. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah, and, that's spectacular. And so to be able to and you know and she's written a book, but I, but there are so many books out there that unless somebody is very much like a CIA nerd or you know a history nerd about the Soviet Union or American operations in the Soviet Union, chances are they'll never stub- never stumble across that book. And the idea that we have a, a, an interview with her that her 
great grandkids, yeah. you know, can can listen to and, and listen, you know, to this family about this family member. Like for me, I don't know where it comes down on the journalism or that side. For me, it's really just exciting to capture history on the personal level. How voraciously would you listen to interviews with World War One vets? Right. If they were there. Yeah. Right. Fuck. Right. Or you go back even further, you know, you know, WW2, there's a couple of them that are, have been able to get through an interview, but you I mean, it's like they're at the tail end of life and it, it kind of shows, but the Korean war, um, you know, we still have a chance to capture a lot of the Vietnam war ones, but like, can you imagine a podcast with a dude who survived the civil war? Yeah. <laughs> Whole, so there we were, twenty yards apart, right. aiming at each other. Yeah, it, it, it's it, like holy shit. It, and I saw my brother's leg off with a hacksaw, and he yeah. had some whiskey and a leather strap in between his teeth. Exactly. Fuck. It, it, it's incredible, and I think that like new media, like we're able to to record history while it's still while it's still relevant, and and preserve it for future generations. And who knows if, you know, YouTube and the podcast, if they ever cancel us and we lose all our content, what, or if they go out of business or whatever, but at least for now, it's It'll there. Live. Yeah, It's there, you know? And we're in an era where I bought a hard drive the other day for my phone because you can shoot this crazy level of footage with a USB-C, uh, now that they switched it over, it's four terabytes. That's everything that I've ever said, watched, done, and <laughs> it was the size of a credit card. So we're going to be okay. Yeah. Until, you know, Skynet reference fucking Michael. Hopefully, are you learning at least about Skynet? Uh, this is what he does. He doesn't even listen. He's over there surfing well, the internet. I went to the Wikipedia for uh, <laughs> for the Marty girl, uh -huh. and then I clicked on Soviet Union, and now I'm on the Soviet <laughs> Union Wikipedia page. Fuck, Michael. That's what happens on Wikipedia. It, it is true. It, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. The the Wikipedia holes can last yeah, a it's, long it's, time. Goes a long what way percentage down. of Wikipedia users do you think realize that it's modifiable by anybody? Oh. And yeah. that you can change yeah. information. I'm gonna say I would like to think a lot, but I'm gonna say I think a lot don't realize it can be modified on the fly by almost anybody. Oh yeah. I sometimes uh, you know, especially over controversial topics. I love to go because you anybody can do it. You can go into the edits page and read like the arguments, like the changes people made, and then oh, yeah. somebody else reverted the changes. Like I love, it's like being a fly on the wall to this family argument over Thanksgiving. See, I, I, I'm a boomer, so I could do that, or I could go to Amazon and I can buy a book about that subject written by somebody who spent their entire adult life studying that subject. Which am I going to put my time into? Wikipedia is good. Why is it going to be binary? I know. I know. <laughs> because it's time. You can't get time back. Yeah. So Wikipedia is good for like, what's the capital of Denmark? And I need to go on there real quick. But I, I wouldn't like really use it beyond that. Oh, I, I do. I mean, I love to just follow like holes because I love that it's linked and that you can. Yeah, it's a living it, document. Yeah. And if you're like looking at different types of philosophy, you know, if you go in there and you know, it, it's useful if you go down and you look at the citations in it. You look at the footnotes and you see where the sources are, and it can lead you to some good sources through there. Yeah, but Wikipedia itself? No, it's fine when people's like ex-wives get on there and you know just make some changes to the page. It's totally <laughs> normal, legit in every way. Michael, what is the age threshold to be a boomer? Um, I believe How old are you, Jack? Forty. 
I'm 46, so if you're a boomer, I'm a boomer. Well, I'm it's spiritually. I'm, 50, I'm 53, and I'm Gen X. Boomer, boomer is one of those funny terms that is just like it meant a generation at one point. Yeah, now it's just a pejorative. Now term. it's just a pejorative. Yeah, 57 to 75. Well, none of us are boomers. Yeah, you gotta gotta come up with a new one. I'd rather yeah. read a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long have you guys had your show? Three years. A little yeah. more than three years. Yeah, just over three years now. I think. I got some interesting messages after coming on. People were like, how could you go on that show? And I was like, what are you talking about? They had described your show as being uh, anti-seal, which, guess who else is very anti-seal? <laughs> Me. I am a huge fan of transparency, integrity, and doing the absolute best you can to tell the truth. It, it seems like people really enjoyed the episode you came on. I mean, we only I think we only heard, heard like really good feedback, actually. It was more people who were like, well, but... They've said bad things about seals. We've said bad things about a lot of things. My response to them was, have you ever heard any of the things that I've said about the seal community? I I think uh, some of that comes because of uh, Alpha and because we had Matthew Cole on. But I had him on as well. We talked for almost three hours specifically about his book that he wrote about the SEAL community. Yeah, but we've also had quite a few SEALs on. Like really good guys. Yeah, and and like – like I joke around about seals a lot because you know I spent my time as a ranger, but I yeah. but I also was a navy diver, and so I joke around about seals because you know they don't know how to dive at all, um, just enough to not kill ourselves most of the time. Right, and 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 again, like this is coming from a place of love. The the teasing, yeah. it's not, uh, yeah. But but I can see, I can see why like two rangers like sitting there like <laughs> trash I th- I talking. Think, I think people get a little sensitive. Well. Yeah. I also, I think we're living in a time where if somebody were to hold a different opinion than you, you're, you're, we're being reinforced to view them as an enemy in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Like yeah. I got some bizarre feedback when I had Matthew on specifically from the SEAL community. Like, how could you? Yeah. And my response generally was, did I say anything that was untrue? Is he, I mean, cause, and you know, the thing with that book, and I think I still have it over there on the bookshelf. I don't I don't mind the scrutiny of the community yeah, at yeah. all. And I can only talk about in the entire book that he wrote, it's like, man, I wasn't there for any of this. Right. I may have heard about some of this through the rumor mill. I was at a command, largely he was writing about development group. Um, and I was I the times that he was writing about were largely post the time that I was there. But I know a lot of those people. And for the people who had the criticism, how could you even allow somebody to come on or why would you want to talk to somebody that want to wants to critique the community in that way my response is wouldn't you want to talk to somebody who holds a different opinion than you in an environment where you can exchange ideas and maybe they change their mind maybe they don't or maybe you could shed a little bit of light in areas that he forgot to look at or give a little bit more context and also at the end of the day the SEAL community has done plenty of things since its inception that are deserving of books like that. And to ignore that is to really paint with this brush that uh, human beings are not, you know, the community, the SEAL community is full of people. Right. People do weird shit. And I've actually thought a lot in the recent years about the type of person that wanted to do that particular job. And my ideas have shifted over around it a lot. And I actually be curious your guys' thoughts on this. 
I'm starting to come to the conclusion based off conversations I've had with people that I serve with, and we never really talked about their upbringings. How much did you guys talk a lot with the people you serve with about how they grew up? A little bit, but uh, not we, not a lot though, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Not with with people on the show we do, but with people that I served with. I mean, while you were in. Right. Not, probably not that much unless, yeah, generally no. So, you know, later in life, I think we get to a place where maybe it's got far enough in the rearview mirror and people will open up a little bit more. I've been really surprised the number of guys that I served with who had super fucking traumatic upbringings. Yeah. And it we just didn't sit around the team room and be like, hey, man. So did like your uncle ever jerk you off in a telephone booth? <laughs> to use an example that Michael would be familiar with. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm just going to assume that, Michael, based off your... For the purposes of the show, we'll just say it's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good team player. He, yeah. Totally. I yeah. trained him well. But, I mean, we're talking physical abuse, yeah. substance abuse from the parents, which, right. which certainly can generationally trickle down, broken homes... Um, exposure to violence, just a really fucked up upbringing. And I know that that um, a percentage of society encounters those things, which is super unfortunate. And I think if we could fix that, it would help a lot of what's going on in our country. But I think the statistical likelihood, if you had a cohort of 100 people versus a cohort of 100 SEALs, those backgrounds are higher in the SEAL community. And I think there's something about that job and, and it was, the more I was thinking about it, it's, okay, so you were abused. I'll just use the term abuse loosely. You were abused somehow in your upbringing, but you don't want to generationally pass that on. What would be the best fucking outlet for you to try to do something positive with that? Go to a community of people where, hey, I'm going to go and stand up for what I believe in and essentially, depending on how you would view it, abuse others. But not like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to take what happened to me and fucking do it to other people that are trying to harm other people. Right. And what I've noticed, I don't know about, you guys both came from Ranger backgrounds, right? How is the Ranger community, and this is obviously a broad question, but people who are in for a good period of time, do you have the same issues with people struggling with identity beyond that? Big time, yeah. A little bit of an inability, depending on the person, to move on. And if you came into the job because maybe you knew that you wanted a different vehicle for that trauma and you had this ability to turn it on something, if you skip the work you still need to do on yourself and then you leave, you're still left with all that shit. And I, then what do you do with it? I think I think there's a lot of that. I mean, I'll just speak of myself. Like I grew up in like not I, in you know an environment where my dad was angry and and, and drinker, and he's been sober now for like. 30 years i mean you know we're great friends but but that anger was there so the i had hyper vigilance which obviously helps in a special operations role right being hyper vigilant always like being like what's out there what's next you know what's around this corner yeah but not at starbucks right you know you burn yourself out exactly and the thing is is that you know you say that you think that seals might have a higher incident that i'm not so sure i think that there are, you could be right but i think well that, i can only speak for the community i came from yeah. my suspicion is that all of soft has a higher percentage of that than your average population I, I i would probably agree with you and and i think that a lot you know the compartmentalization that a child from that background learns the disassociation you know the hypervigilance all those things actually help on the job but also you know, you're basically stacking uh, more sort of post-traumatic stuff with pre-existing post-traumatic stuff um, and then the TBIs and everything else. And then, you know, a person leaves 
this unit or, you know, this sense of purpose and, and whatnot, and they get out. And now you've got, you know, you've got that, man, I, 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 I had no way to release this. I'm going from 60 miles an hour down to zero mm-hmm. and, and what's here. Um, you know, and I think that one of the challenges in Matthew talks about this is like the leadership in the, in the SEAL community where the officers and, and, you know, we had uh Pete Blaber on, mm. um, last week who also talked about like a failure leadership with the Rangers, like with the Pat Tillman incident. And even yeah. prior to that, that that leadership had been, you know, kind of, uh, called out or, or talked about that, that a lot of times, you know, if there are leadership issues, you know, wild child, you know, wild children are going to be wild. And, and everybody who goes into soft, you know, not everybody, but a lot of them are wild children and need like solid left and right limits as, as they're growing up. And, um, so yeah, I, I don't know, like, I don't know. It's kind of like a couple different things. Like, I don't know how much of that is, you know, the trauma is suffered as a child and then coming in and like, because Rangers like had like hazing, you know, uh, this, you know, the spec four mafia, like hazing young Rangers has been an issue. Oh, don't worry. We experienced plenty of that as well. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. actually would be somebody who would argue for the positive benefits of hazing inside of parameters that don't let it become malicious. Exactly. I agree with you. Like 100%. I had the shit hazed out of me, but if everybody else in the platoon had gotten hazed and I didn't, I'd you'd feel like, left out. Not only that, I'd be like, oh, fuck, what did I do wrong? Right. It was a rite of passage. Yeah. Right. Every single time that it happened, it was like smiles, and I understood why. It was like another step across the threshold. Yeah. It was never somebody like, now it's on, motherfucker, and I'm going to yeah. punish you. Yeah. It, it was, in, it was, it had a purpose. Yeah. And I maybe was the benef- benefactor of good leadership in that platoon, because- you know, people, oh, the, the officers, you know, the enlisted men were definitely acting on their own. Bullshit. You know, the officers were right there, too, but they were kind of keeping a boundary on things. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think leadership is, you know, one of the issues that, uh, you know, the, the, the military, like a lot of those officers, the senior officers at least, you know, they get off scot-free for, uh, you know, for for a lot of like we talked about with Pete Blaber, you know, the, the, everybody who basically facilitated or led to by decision-making process that weren't on the, on the ground with that element, none of them suffered from it. They all got promoted out of that. And yet they were directly responsible for it. Um, that was a catastrophic incident. I actually knew Pat Tillman. He was fucking awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, that was a rough one. Yeah. Yeah. Military leaders, senior leaders. I mean, Everybody wants to point the finger at Biden about Afghanistan. The what is it? The Pentagon Papers that were released, where the generals and admirals were actually speaking freely, as opposed to when they thought they were being recorded. Oh, really, motherfuckers! You knew it wasn't going to work, right? And not a single one of you turned in your stars when this was the path that was going down. Not a single flag officer did shit. Like, nah, it's Biden's well, call. With yeah. the with the Pentagon Papers, you're talking about Vietnam. But then there was there was the, another there, one. There was was it, like, the Af- it was like the Afghanistan papers. Let's say that it was because yeah. that makes me feel better. Yeah. Because the Pentagon papers were certainly about Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Um, Same concept though. But I mean, it's fascinating though. I mean, didn't H.R. McMaster write his like thesis papers on like the failures of Vietnam? Like wrote a whole book about it. But then when he's up there at the National Security Council, 
it, it's like we're just condemned to repeat this and make the same mistakes. It can make you like very fatalistic when you yeah. when you kind of like zoom out from it. It's people need to take a little bit more of a holistic approach. It and again in the divided society we're living in. It's basically, you know, left versus right. So yeah. if you support Biden, the problem is Trump's fault getting out of Afghanistan. We'll just forget about any of Obama's involvement or Bush's. It's like that's no longer remembered. And if you're a, uh, the other side of the coin, it's, you know, it's Trump's fault for whatever he did or Biden's fault or this, that or the other. I mean, I deployed there in early 2000s. My last appointment there was in 2010. If you spent about eight minutes on the ground... You know, I'm obviously being facetious, but I watched the battle space guidance change. I watched the tactics change. I watched them change the restrictions of what we could do, when we could do it. Nighttime raids, no nighttime raids, CAS, no CAS. And work with your partner force, buy with and through, ANA, ANP. I watched the ANA and ANP get into a firefight with each other. Yeah. Like, this is the fucking most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything right now because I'll probably get killed. Right. And then they finally just stopped. I'm like, who won that? I have no idea. Right. Do you know who won? Right. Nobody knows who won. <laughs> well, get back on the helicopter with us. I mean, it's not necessarily <laughs> facetious to say that, you know, these generals were talking about how we're turning a corner all the time, but you could go and ask any like private or Lance corporal who is there and they'd be like, yeah, man, this place is screwed. Why are we here? We were turning a corner in a circle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we had um, Scott Mann on, who, a uh, great guy if you haven't had him on, but he was, you know, largely responsible for a lot of the village stability the operations. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. And, Which was big in 2010, the last time I was over there. Right. And, and, it, and it was effective, but it didn't brief as well as how many <laughs> bodies did we stack. Yeah, right? it's a tougher metric. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that our modern military has really just succumbed to is this need for these metrics, you know? And it's like, if, if you're not stacking bodies or if you're not, you know, arresting dudes or, you know, detaining dudes, um, what have you done? It's like, well, we, you know, we built three wells and, and stabilized these three villages. Oh, that, that's not exciting. How am I, how am I going to get a, uh, you know, how am I going to get a, an achievement medal or, yeah. or a bronze star with a valor device with you guys setting up, you know, helping out a village? Truly. Yeah. Inter interesting time. Yeah. For sure. So you guys have been at your podcast for three years. What's been the most challenging interview you guys have done? I always get this one too. Ooh, that's a good question. So, the mo well, I mean, sometimes you just have guests who are just characters and it's hard to keep them on topic. <laughs> sometimes they're like talking to a goddamn table. Yeah. Yeah. That Those are challenging. Um, I'm trying to think as far as like, I mean, we've definitely had some interviews that are challenging in the sense of like the uh, the emotional stuff that comes out of it, where guys are just the memories are very raw. Um, some of the Rangers, some of the SF guys we've talked to, talking about losing friends in combat. Those are the ones that tend to stick with me and be the one the ones that are, that's, that, that's a tough interview. Um, I'm really proud of those guys for being able to speak about it and be so mature in the way they talk about war and combat and death. Um, but I, I think those ones are very challenging. I for me, uh, and I'm so I'm so sorry I don't remember his name, um, it, but it's, we've just had so many podcasts. But we had on an attorney who represented uh, some of the detainees at Guantanamo Bay, and he was very much a you know a civil rights focused mm -hmm. you know uh, attorney. And for me, that was challenging uh, because. Uh, 
because while these people absolutely deserve their rights, I'm also sort of of the mind that like, fuck these dudes, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, which I'm not saying that's the right mentality to be in. It just is, you know, the guys that were left over, you know, after, you know, most of them cleared, like these are the long-term residents of Guantanamo. And, um, and I know that, you know, a large number of people released from Guantanamo went back to the battlefield and, you know, right. They weren't rehabilitated? No, shockingly enough. Shockingly enough. (laughs) Um, So, uh, so for me, that was kind of challenging because, you know, it's like we want, we want this person to tell their story and we want to give them fair treatment. And I need to like, I need to hold back my own sort of personal feelings on it about this particular very like passionate topic. Let me ask you this. Do you respect the people that we fought? Uh, in in what way? Not their belief, but their willingness to stand for up to and potentially including losing their life and fight for what they believe. I don't know because so many times they they fought through they fought through other people. They so often they made sure that civilians suffered mm-hmm. for their actions. Um, it was very rare that they would meet head on in combat unless they, you know, unless, unless it you was, had a pinned. Yeah. But let me ask you this. If you were numerically outnumbered and technologically outmatched, would you do it any differently? Oh, no, ab- absolutely not. Um, but I also would not ensure I, I would not take advantage of, you know, uh, economically depressed people in the environment and pay them money to plant IEDs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't try to foist that battle off onto, you know, an, an uh, you know, an undeserving population uh, in order to make, ensure that they suffered as, as much as we did in that. So when you're talking about like the guerrilla tactics, no, like I, I don't, I don't blame them for engaging in guerrilla tactics. Um, but I blame them for the way they involved civilians in their battle. Yeah. And, you know, the question about respect, I'm not saying, hey, this is somebody you would want to go to their right. wedding. Right. Um, the way I look at it, regardless of your belief, right. even if you're a fucking pacifist, there's somebody in the world who's your axis, right? You're an X person and a Y person. I respect the people that we fought for their willingness to at least put their toes on the line. And I'd agree with you very, very infrequently. The radicalized ones, yeah, like the full-on jihadists, they would stand toe-to-toe. Yeah. And there were some times where I was like, holy fuck, these guys are actually looking for a reason to stand toe-to-toe. Right. Other than that, their best strategy was to drop and run, right? Drop all your shit and run and come back to fight another day, unless we had them contained. Right. Then they would fight. And if they ended up in Guantanamo, I can respect them for their their willingness to do that without respecting what it is that they believe in because I personally disagree with it. So I can see like, yeah, they should have some civil right protections at Guantanamo. I don't have an issue with that, but I'd also be willing to be the person that takes the inside of their brain and puts it on the outside of their head at the same time. It's a very confusing place (laughs) to be as a person. Yeah, no, and I agree. I I absolutely agree with the idea of them having civil rights at Guantanamo. I I don't think that, you know, uh, that the United States should, you know, um, run if you run a prison, it should be a prison to American yeah. standards. It's, it's 
or American ideals, because even our prisons don't live up to American standards, but but that it should, you know, it, it should be a humane place in the very least. I don't think that they should go through round-the-clock torture and stuff like that. Um, the question for me about Guantanamo, and I think it's more of a thought experiment than anything, is, it was especially earlier on, there were some people who ended up there who probably weren't the person that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Like, are you a boo? Yes, but we're all a boo because that just means son of you, dumb motherfucker. I'm like, oh, okay, right. Get on the helicopter. <laughs> so let's say, what should we as a country do, where you have somebody who ends up, and maybe it's not even, uh, you know, over in Guantanamo, but at one of the offsite locations where they weren't radicalized before, right? But because we threw them into a goddamn piranha mm-hmm. fish tank. Mm-hmm. That they did become radicalized. What do we do with that person? Because they haven't done anything yet. Mm -hmm. But there's a pretty fucking good likelihood they will if we let them go. What do you do? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that there's too much we can do other than what? Hand them over to the local nationals and that's even worse. I mean, I think we know how the breadcrumbs play out on that one. With ISIS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Guantanamo was sort of a clusterfuck to begin with because... No. Well thought out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole idea is... uh, The whole idea was they were supposed to be held in essentially POW camps and had military tribunals. There was... But then they put put them in almost like an American law enforcement situation. But there was no chain of custody for their stuff. Um, A lot of them were just like fighters or random people swept up. Like a lot of them were Afghans, not the Arabs that we were looking yeah. for. And a lot of Arabs that were over there were, you know, the, because the, I, I was, I spent some time at Guantanamo um, talking. To like them. as an inmate or? Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> Orange no. jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, at least as far as anybody knows. No, but, and, you know, and hearing some of these guys, these like really poor dudes from Yemen where, you know, the Taliban comes over and, or an AQ representative comes over and says, hey, come to Afghanistan. Like, you can't afford a wife. You have no money. You have dow- no dowry uh, or whatever. Like, come to Afghanistan. We'll give you a wife. There are plenty of, like, single women. So these these guys go. Their passports are taken. They're basically told this yeah. is what you're going to do. It, it was an unfortunate situation. I mean, what you just described is actual textbook human trafficking. Yeah. Get somebody over there yeah. for a, a false pretense or premise. Take away their travel documents. And, oh, by the way, you work for me now forever. Yeah. So, so I went to Afghanistan so I could get a wife, and that's how I ended up in Gitmo. And then <laughs> they put me into a cell with some people who really want to kill everybody, and now I do too, but I haven't actually done anything. Right. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. But it's that, to me, is a more fascinating question than- Probably why some of them are still sitting down there. <sighs> you would think so, right? How, how many people are left in Guantanamo? Not a lot. I don't know, but, but yeah. Michael, can you find that out? I bet you, my guess is it's under a couple dozen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what, uh, as far as the interviews you guys have done, when I say challenging, I don't necessarily mean from the subject matter. Have you ever had a guest where you're like, huh, perhaps oh, yeah. you don't know as much about what you're talking about as you're there's, portraying. There's, o- there's only <laughs> there's only one, actually. You don't have to use names, but... There's o- there's only one, whereas the stories go on and they get a little weirder and weirder, and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really add up. 30, 30 yeah. Okay. Under three dozen, yep. Yeah, it's... 
it's, I mean, you know as well as we do. I mean, some of the biggest podcasts out there have had stolen dollar people on. And and yes. through no fault of their own, really, because it, it can be, well. Fault of their uh, own. Okay, well, kind research. Of kind of is. <laughs> okay, I take that back. Especially <laughs> if you're like uh, in this in this sort of space. I, I, I yeah. take that back. When it gets challenging, though, is when a person has been vetted. When you have people in the community saying, yes, they're legit. But, but their stories are But bullshit. their stories, yeah. you know, start to go off the rails. It's kind of like, um, like, I know who Jack is talking about, and Jack knows more about the stories than I do. So I was like, oh, tell me more. Yeah. Um, but but we've been really fortunate. For, yeah, I think so. I think in that we've we've done a pretty, we've been pretty fortunate in vetting people and making sure that, like, things don't go off the rails too yeah. much. Uh, what about you? I've had only one that really surprised me as well. And it was an interesting situation because I traveled to this person and it was in their house at their dinner table with a family member. I'm not, I didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to look out of the corner of my eye, figuring out what they were doing, but I'm pretty sure they were sleeping in a lazy boy. And it was, it was somebody and I'll, I'll talk broadly, but specifically enough about it that you guys will be able to figure this out. People probably just based how I was on the, at the end of that interview, like, huh, <laughs> you and I don't agree on this. That it won't be uh, too much of a leap in logic. But so the setting was weird. And this person at a national level is considered to be an expert on killing. And... Uh, has written a lot of textbooks about the headspace and talks at conferences and started pulling out handwritten graphs to back up his point. And I am not a scientist. However. However, <laughs> comma. I can also draw graphs. And on any graph, if you decide to make the timeline super short, right. you can make it look like Whatever anything you, want. you fucking wanted to. Right. And so I started looking at this, thinking, what the fuck? Like, because I had done some research on it. And, you know, I, a lot of the data in some of the earlier literature from this person was talking about the 10% of people in combat environment actually fired their weapon. There was this, this innate desire for human beings to not want to engage in the activity of taking life. And then, you know, they changed to a man-shaped silhouette. And then so the lethality or the people's willingness to engage in that activity supposedly increased over time. And I started reaching out to people, my father, who was a, a Vietnam vet, and I reached out to some people from World War II that I was able to get a hold of and all these different conflicts. Every single one of them was like, no, that I couldn't fucking shoot. They were trying to kill me. I was trying to kill them. You know, and then there's some argument like, well, maybe they're aiming high or just all of that stuff. But the data that I was getting just anecdotally from the people that I was talking to was a bit off. So I started just digging into a little bit more and looking at some of the actual studies. So I recognized some of these handwritten graphs and realized, dude, you're truncating the timeline to not show the downward trend on some of these things. Mm -hmm. you're, you're taking out and you're cherry picking and also, I still can't get past the fact these are fucking handwritten. Like, this is freaking me out. Right, right. <laughs> and we, at the end of the day, had to uh, really agree to disagree on a lot of things. And at the end of the day, I realized, like, holy shit. You're just trying to sell your books. 
Yeah. And it sucked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that does suck. The the what I thought it was going to be and what I left and what I think about that whole conversation like fuck. This is not cool. I've definitely had some moments through my life where, you know, the never meet your heroes type moments, you know, and I I have to balance that, though, because, I mean, yeah, for every one person I meet, like, wow, you're just a real disappointment. There's like 30 others that I'm like, dude, you're everything I thought you would be, you know, like, um, I don't know. Have you you ever had John Mayer on your show before? Uh, The musician? No, no. Tilt, the the (laughs) Mac V. Sog dude. He's on tons of podcasts. Oh, John Struckermeyer? Yeah. Yes, I have have him on. So he's one of those guys that, like, you meet him and you're like, you're everything I thought you would be. Yeah. Like, you're awesome. You can have all of my military awards because Mm -hmm. I don't deserve any. And (laughs) you need far more than you were ever given. I feel like a big fat pussy. Yeah. Yeah. You need several medals of honor right now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, we've had, we've been fortunate to have on like a lot of the, you know, Mac V. Saw guys, you know, the, uh, you know, Ricondo dudes, like a lot of those Vietnam era guys. And the things that their whole team was going through every single day <laughs> is, is a medal of, their entire team is going through this. And it's, and in today's world, it's a medal of honor if, if like it happens one time for somebody. I try, every time I listen to those stories, my head goes to, what would have happened in the modern era if I had submitted for mission approval to do what they were doing? They would have the- had you committed, man. I mean, it's like, I want to take two Americans and seven host nation individuals. We're going to go to the middle of Iran. Just us. Right. Um, <laughs> no big deal. We're not going to take radios because they could be compromised. And we're not going to take maps because it just doesn't seem like we're going to need them because we don't have radios. And uh, maybe we'll come back, and maybe we won't, and uh, send a bunch of helicopters that'll get shot down. QRF's not really needed. Um, what do you think? They'd be like, get the fuck out of the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like they well, that, go. That was a Tuesday. For yeah, those guys. Exactly. Yeah. And then they go in, and and the stories are almost always like, yeah, we were compromised immediately because there was an intel leak back in 100%. Hanoi. Like we were compromised immediately. We had a you know company size element on us. Um, so we decided to continue the mission. It's like, you did what? Yeah. So we like exfilled the area, you know, tried to throw them off our trail and then continued the mission. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I never did anything. Compared to, I mean, all you have to do is go back and read a bronze star from like the Korean war. Yeah. Single-handedly, like you fought off a platoon with a shovel, um, lost six arms, right. uh, <laughs> blinded several times it's like navy achievement medal with a dude <laughs> right exactly. holy shit dude yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's yeah. just say the uh the metric has skewed held off a chinese battalion with a ma deuce while your <clears throat> company withdrew and then you got wounded by mortar fire and crawled off the hill yeah one of the years i bought uh my father a book there's an amazing coffee table book it's just full of medal of honor stories and i'm going to completely murder this story but it stuck with me the, the broad strokes a guy in the Korean War, and his unit was uh, ordered to retreat, and the word didn't make it to his foxhole. <laughs> so, oh my, God. my man sat there and laid fucking heat for like 24 hours. He was not not joking. He had one of the entrenching tools. He was baseball hitting grenades back at the people that were throwing them to him. When they finally decided to come back. His foxhole was like 180 degrees of fucking stacked dead bodies for as far as the eye can see. And I just, I wonder to myself, A, did the guy realize he had been left? 
Or did he just think that everybody was having the same experience right. that he was in every <laughs> Right. Or C, when his buddies did came back, it's like, what the fuck, <laughs> man? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> but I mean, I'm like, like legends. It, like, absolutely. Like, none of that shit has happened in the GWAT. Yeah. And there's been yeah. some spectacular displays of heroism. But my God, the wheelbarrow that that dude must need for his balls to walk around in? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just unbelievable. The stories are amazing. And, and, you know, and, you know, especially with the GWAT, like we have such this love affair with special operations. Um, but it's, I mean, I feel like the GWAT was a very Gucci war for special operations. Like, I'm not saying that spec ops, it was. spec ops didn't mix it up, but you're going in, you're hitting a target and you're generally, you know, home by, you know, dawn and, you know, playing Halo yeah. or whatever. Um, I think that like a lot of the infantry units out there, the conventional infantry units, the Marines, you know, the army, they went through so much, they went through so much shit that has not been talked about and yeah. does not get enough attention um, because it's just not sexy, you know, but like we've managed to talk to a couple guys and we really should, you know, put more effort into finding more of, of these conventional soldiers and Marines because th there are like some, some really heavy stories that, because they're, they're out there in, you know, some, you know, BFE, you know, fire base, yeah. you know, 30 dudes hanging on by a thread with no air support, nothing. And just getting probed and rocketed and everything all the time. Like the Korangal Valley is yeah. a good example. But I mean, in my opinion, which counts for nothing, if you take a grunt Marine in 05, 06, that was daylight walking through Missoula, trying to clear that place and having to live there, their job was harder than mine. Yeah. I, I won't Fucking 100% yeah. harder than mine. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact I can turn day into night and yeah. I have a sexy gun with a suppressor and lasers all over this shit and night vision that I can see what's in somebody's hand at a couple hundred yards yep. and AC one thirty. Yeah, it's like, overhead. hey, uh I'm kinda turned around. Can you sparkle the target for me? Oh, yeah. there it is. Yeah, right. You know, and yeah, little birds, you know, I had daps and AH sixes overhead and like, hey, I'm I'm scared of that building over there. Make it not a building anymore. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, like <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, that's not that that's an easy job and there are complications associated with going after i would say especially when i was at the east coast command you're going you're at least trying to target people who are there at the higher echelons definitely mm -hmm. a little bit more highly committed they're probably going to be a little bit more on their a game but i wasn't taking down a target and then living there for six months mm -hmm. and then walking through the streets and yeah. dealing with all of the shit that was involved with that it was wearing the same uniform for six months straight <sighs> i yeah. did i did a stretch of that with the initial invasion of iraq but it was like 90 days that was interesting it's like i'll just take it off and stand my right. pants up right. at the end of my that is exactly what i did with my gear by the way when we left <laughs> like hey i need to pack I'm like pack what i'm gonna burn my cot my sleeping bag my mosquito net and everything that touched my body because this shit's disgusting but it's a harder job. And it's yeah. what's lost, I think, or maybe not taking the time to recognize from people who worked in special operations is that we were unable to do our job unless they're out there doing theirs as right. well. We are so, we're a spoke in a huge wheel, and the conventional units fill up like 80% of those spokes. And it, and it sucks. I completely agree with you. It sucks, and I feel for the people who went through that and served through that and struggled and suffered through that. And feel like they don't get the recognition that they deserve. Because in my opinion, and from my experience, they absolutely do. And yeah. I completely recognize that my job was impossible without them. Yeah. 
And I, I don't know how to change that though. I, I don't either. And and part of it I think is that there there is spec ops is just sexier. It's just it I mean we have better it, hair. It, some it, of us, right? I mean like two out of three. Yeah, but not everybody goes through buds and gets that training, you know, on the right hair products. It doesn't happen in training. Oh. It's afterwards in SQT, right? Before okay. you get your trident. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you get two boxes when you get your trident. Right. One is the actual trident, and the other one is just, it's, that's why we like Silver Rangers so much, because it's got that mirror looking right back right, at you. Right. Like people are using it to look down at the bezel? No, it's just, <laughs> and yeah. Get it's that. a small hair kit. It's trident yeah. and hair kit. Yeah. And then the book deal comes, I think, right after you finish your first platoon. So. How, so, you know, you, you described earlier how, how we were described as, as anti-seal. And, and it's funny because, like, Jack has written articles on, like, the shenanigans going on at Third Group and at Fort Bragg. Like, so he gets called out for being anti, you know, anti-military, yeah. everything. But what do you think it is, you know, about – because there are there are behavioral issues in every unit. And I think the, sure. units, the units try to cut that off when they can. What is it that you think – it is about seals that sort of draws more attention. Well, it doesn't help when people at a national level won't shut the fuck up about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe, and this is somebody who comes from the community, I do believe that an inordinate amount of attention was paid to a small segment of the special operations community. Yeah, And I can understand the frustration associated with that. And the seal community has had some very public successes but some pretty public shortcomings as well. Um, and I and I am fine discussing both ends of that spectrum and everything in between. It's, it's this weird elevation of a job, which is all it is at the end of the day, to this place where it's almost beyond reproach, and that's super dangerous because we're just talking about people. It's a community of people, and yes, they've been highly selected, highly refined, but there's a bell curve. Even on the East Coast, and people don't believe me when I say this, it's like you have 100 people. Right. The bell curve still applies. Right. So there's an amazing top 10%, about 80% of everybody else in between, and then 10% of the people, in comparison to the cohort of their peers, are turds. You know, one of the, when I, right before I checked in, there was a guy who was found dead from smoking crack cocaine in the parking lot. He was an assaulter. And, is that a community issue or is that a people issue? Right. I didn't know the person, so I can't answer that. But my suspicion is it's a people issue. And there were some drug issues while I was there, too, to the point where they're like, hey, everybody come in on a Saturday yeah, and yeah. drink some water because you're going to you're going to piss. And they fuck. It was wild. Um, Part of it is to the, the Navy specifically uses the SEALs. It's as, a recruiting as their, tool. Yeah, it's their only yeah. real ground combat element. I mean, it's a huge recruitment tool. Well, obviously, you've never seen Maverick, because so, I think that probably helped. The, it, as well did the original yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that, that was in the 80s. Um, so that that was a huge thing. And then the Bin Laden raid, of course, put that spotlight right on yeah. those guys. And, you know, society, you know, we see it with celebrity culture all the time. We love to build people up and then tear them down. And a lot of the nuance that you've been describing gets lost in the process of the building up and tearing down, right? Yeah. I think it's it was just too much attention, yeah. to be honest. And then, you know, so it gets a lot of attention. And I went back and I was an instructor from uh, mid-06 to 2008. And I would sit around with the instructors or we would all just sit around. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? And then I was thinking, oh, I bet our instructors said the same thing about <laughs> Right, us. right. Yeah. The difference was... And it actually hadn't hit full swing yet. I heard about it years later from other people. 
you know, when I joined, I could find a few books about mm-hmm. the SEAL community, watched the Charlie Sheen movie far too many times and, and really thought and w- more honestly wished that it was going to be a documentary. It was not, spoiler alert. Never <laughs> known anybody to jump off of a bridge on their way to work. And also, I don't know if that, sur- that fall would be survivable. But if you were there... I would say you are probably there for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to judge somebody's reasons for trying to do something. However, if you are there because of a celebrity status that you see that a community has been either pushed towards or that they are pushing towards, and it's all over social media, and you see people who are building brands and notoriety off of it. And I'm very aware for anybody listening to this that I used to be a SEAL and I talk about my experiences. I get it. I'm not saying I'm not benefiting from that either. But if you want to go through buds because it's something that you saw on social media or you want to get a book deal. That's a little different. I'm going to say you're flirting with being there for the wrong reasons. And fortunately, SEAL training has been largely immune to people fucking with it, trying uh-huh. to throw the levers to try to increase throughput and all that stuff. And the wheat gets separated from the chaff, but still no selection process is perfect. And that shit, the detritus will make its way through over time. So it's just, I it, I don't think the notoriety, I do not think it did anything good. Yeah. I mean, at all. Because the movies, the books, I don't think it did. I don't think. An argument can be made. I've had this uh, argument with Jack Carr, who we went through training together. He, because he, he asked me, he's like, well, yeah, well, what was your first exposure to the SEAL team? So I was like, fuck, I know where you're going with this. Men with Green Faces, classic book about yep, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he goes, well, what if that book had never been there? I'm like, okay. I'm not saying there's no, I'm like, this is the first time you've ever fucking been right, Jack. And shut up, you're <laughs> never going to be right again. I understand his point. But I think there's a point where it goes too far. Like, they have no problem with people writing historical accounts about what happened. I actually think that's essential for the record of who we are as people. I have an issue with when I go into a bookstore, and I remember early in my career, there'd be six books. Right. Yeah. And now there's six book shelves mm-hmm. dedicated to it. And the, the most polite way that I can say this about some of the people writing those books is that they have a very casual relationship with the truth. Yeah. That is the most polite way that I can say it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that helps anybody. Yeah. Except for the person writing it who is doing it for their own self-serving purposes. Whether they would say that or not, I think, is debatable. But from an outside perspective, that that's where I land on it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like Jack's written about in his articles, and we also know that, like, there are behavioral issues in every issue. Like, it, yeah. it, like it's not at all... Um, it's not at all like isolated to the seals. It's just that the seals, I think really get called out for it. And maybe it's like you say, because of the public behavior and it's hard to begrudge guys who want to write books. I mean, Jack wrote an autobiography. We have a, we have a podcast that, you know, we're both former dudes and, you know, everybody has every right to do with their experiences as they see fit. Exactly. The only time I take issue is when the relationship with the tree embellishment gets a little bit shady. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can leave the names out of it. Both of you have some experience with somebody that I would consider to be in that category. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it gets I mean, fucking when dirty. You, when yeah. You, yeah, when you set out to do that, I mean, I think that you have a responsibility to, well, maybe yourself, to the truth. But, I mean, when I wrote, I thought really exactly this conversation. I thought about myself when I was 17, 18 years old in the bookstore and picking up those books about Warp Rangers in Vietnam 
well, some kid might be reading my book and I, I feel like I have a responsibility to tell them the truth about the things I fucked up too and yeah. the mistakes I made and all of that stuff. Because otherwise, why are you why are you even bothering to write about it? Like, don't you want somebody to learn something, take something away from it? Well, Jack, planes don't pay for themselves. <laughs> right, right. Fuck. And social media followers, if you're going to buy them, aren't free, if you know what I mean. You can, wait, you, you can buy followers because... Yeah, I can point you guys in the direction of somebody that uh, has done exactly that. But whatever, what do I know? So uh, why'd you guys decide to start a podcast? Uh, fuck, we haven't even introduced you guys, and I'm going to let you do it. And uh, tell me about the podcast first, then we'll get back, we'll get into your military careers. Sure, yeah. The, the podcast came uh, you know, about when I absolutely pop smoke and left uh working for a company owned by the notorious individual that you were referencing got the hell out of there and uh the podcast how'd you know it was time to go <laughs> um speak as broadly as you want to i mean i don't want yeah to no I, I i well again what talking about the things i fucked up i mean I, I stayed there way longer than i should have and when you're you know you you can probably understand this as a business owner when you start something up you get emotionally attached to it and you don't want to let it go. You want it to be successful and like your personal sense of worth is tied into whether or not it's successful. So yeah, I stayed way longer than I should have. Um, And this is part of the things that you don't learn in the military that you need to learn as a civilian is quitting is the right thing to do sometimes. Yeah. Get the hell out of there, man. Um, So let's see. I mean, there's a, there's a whole insane story there, but it, 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 tell me more. (laughs) Uh, what's, I I mean, it's hard to know where to begin, but I mean, I've been told first there was light. There was light. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how biblical stories begin, but I think that's the, man, there was, there was a lot of stuff that went on there, man. And a lot of, a lot of gnarly stuff went on and, uh, an old boy just being completely checked out and then checking in once every eight months, firing the entire staff and starting over from scratch. And I mean, stuff like that happened like seven, eight times while I was working for this company. Um, then when they finally like cut my pay and told me I needed to do twice the amount of work, mm. and I was like, um, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, Real value proposition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I was like, well, I think it's time for me to leave. And um, so that, that finally gave me that final push I needed to get the hell out of there, which I did. And the very next day, we started the podcast. Like the, It was literally, I already had the equipment and everything. And I was like, okay. I mean, and, and looking back on it, again, my big regret is that I didn't do it sooner. I, I, I think that there's a story here that Jack needs to tell you why the equipment was there to begin with. Because it had a podcast for the old company, no, correct? No, no, That was that. This was my own stuff that oh, I bought okay. uh, to start. Because we were going to, st- Dave and I were starting a gaming company. A gaming company? Yes. I was we, we trying were, to move into a totally different field. We were trying to play Dungeons and Dragons and live stream it. And we had four people watching. So we decided that, that wasn't good. Have you ever heard the term nerd alert? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because well, the we're, fucking we're at the- rotating <laughs> light just went off. We're at the epicenter of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are. Are you yeah. like a level seven wizard? Uh, rogue. How um, many? It's a warlock. Yeah, it's How a, many one hundred sided dice do you own? Well, I mean, you know, generally you don't use a one hundred sided dice because you you want a percentage. So you're using. No, I'm just. Uh, um, I have no idea with whether or not you're telling me it's true or not. I'm familiar with what. Dun- I mean, Michael plays it. I don't have a fucking clue. That, no, that's that's the uh, initially that's what I, we were looking at doing something totally different, and then after I left that job and got the hell out of there, um, like okay, we got everything set up, let's start, and yeah, it happened. 
very yeah, quickly. Yeah, and, and it it evolved because it we did we didn't really have an idea of what we were doing. Jack's like, hey, do you want to do you want to like do this thing? And I'm like, yeah, what are we gonna do? And he goes, I don't know. We're just gonna like like drink and talk about the news. And the, the first, I don't know how many episodes are just Jack and I getting <laughs> shitty talking about like different things in the news, like from like celebrity stuff to like going on. And, uh, but that's the content this world needs yeah. at this point with like a bed sheet tax behind. Yeah, it. exactly. Yes. Yeah. A, awesome. a moving, yeah. Moving blanket. And, um, then we, we started having people on and it's like, Oh, well that, that's the direction right there. And then we just kind of decided that, we wanted to have this long form thing where we talked to people, gave them a chance to like tell us who they were, how they grew up, how they got into the military or intelligence community or whatever, and um, and have it like be a, like at your bar. We drink during the show, and and that really uh, brings out some interesting things when you're doing it live sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, and we moved into a new studio not this summer, the summer before. Started building all that out, and as yeah, I mean you you know the deal. I mean you just build one one foot in front of the next. It's literally how I. I mean yeah. I think I've been at it for I don't know six or seven years, and it it started with two microphones that literally were held down by Rogue Fitness five pound weights, <laughs> and a little Zoom that one time I forgot to put batteries in, and I know now that. If a Zoom uh, turns itself off due to loss of battery power, all of your data is invalidated as well. So it's, I started plugging it into the wall with fresh batteries every time. What, what made you decide to start a podcast? Rogan. Okay. I would say I'm a late adopter to podcasting. I did... So when I got out in thir- uh, 2013, I got the last day of June of 2013, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was working for a CrossFit at the time, the strength and conditioning company. Uh, and you know, similar to your, what you're talking about, Jack, of, uh, I wish I would have done it earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I could have popped smoke on that one. Fuck. If I'm being honest, if I look back on the little things that became big things, the indications of the little things were there very, very early on. Uh, I was a little bit blinded by the fact I was making additional money. Like, you know, don't join the military to be rich. I literally did an episode the other day where I pulled up the military pay chart. I'm like, listen, people, if you want to go in the military, pull this up just plan for a bit mm-hmm. basic math x y go to town um so i got out and i i loved the uh jumping side of the house except for uh fort betting static line can go fuck itself mm-hmm. all right i i really feel like the military is a master of taking curriculum that could be applied in two days and stretching it out to three right. weeks which describes basic airborne yes. to a fucking t the Navy has now, at least in the SEAL pipeline, they have taken over their own air training. I believe they do static line in five days. That makes sense. Which yeah. is three days too much, still, in my opinion. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, so you get a master's degree at the end of your set. It's like, just jump the fuck out of the plane. You're going to hit the Fall. ground. Fall, yeah. God. My first jump hurt so badly. It was like heels head, no PLF whatsoever, laying there. I'm like, I don't think I can do this four more times. <laughs> this is how I die. But I, I got to my first platoon. And I had some guys that really loved the air ops week. I, I, I don't know about uh, the workup cycles for you guys on the ranger side. For us, it's basically a two-year cycle. You'll train for 18 months and then deploy for six. That's how it was pre-9-11. And it was all two or three-week blocks. Maybe the longest one was the desert warfare training we did out in Nyland. But you would dive for two weeks. You would over the horizon, over the beach, and zodiacs for two weeks. You'd go out to the desert. And then... This platoon, this platoon, God, they wanted to do 
all sorts of air stuff because all the guys were free fall called except for the new guys. So we'd get on a C-130 and they're on the right-hand side hooting and hollering and we're on the left-hand side dreading everything <laughs> about this fucking evolution. The plane would go to 1,200 feet and I'm like, oh, huh. Hook up, check static line, sound off for a quick. I'm like, fuck. And I'm laying on the drop zone, questioning my life choices as you hear people like canopies opening after free fall. Well, let's do it again. I'm like, I'll I'll give you everything in my bank account if we don't, please. So I have like 88 static line jumps. I'm like, why? And I get it, because they were having a time of their life. Right. So I went in. Uh, to skydive San Diego, which was at a different uh, airport than it's at now. I went and just went through an AFF program, an accelerated free fall course. I went through a ground school on Friday and was essentially jumping on my own by Sunday, which should let people know the barriers to entry are incredibly low. And I just loved it. I loved the free fall. And so I was jumping on the weekends and I got to the point, I think I probably had, I don't know, probably say somewhere between 300 to 500 jumps. And the Yuma released this message Hey, we're going to do a challenge course. If you have X amount of civilian experience, we will let you come to Yuma for a week, which is way better than the four weeks it's normally. And we jumped a bunch, and I left with my MFF qualification. The military didn't have to pay for shit other That's than my travel out there. And so I kept jumping. And when I went out to the East Coast Command, they kind of said, hey, what do you want to do in the downtime? And I went, no bullshit in the course of about two months. I went static line JM, free fall JM, tandem, AFF, Video, I just boom, boom, boom through all of them. And I had the ability to pursue it the way I wanted to. So I get out, I have a good amount of experience, stopped working for CrossFit, didn't know what necessarily to do. So I started skydiving professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, got somehow finagled my way into a couple sponsors. And in that world, the getting the first one is basically it's the hardest mm-hmm. because without it, people are like, Yeah, I don't really know who you are. But if you have one, the brands will look at you a little bit differently. So one begets another. Linked up with a company called Killcliffe, which uh, was a recovery and energy drink um, founded by an ex-seal. I think Rogan talks about it sometime cause now because they have a beverage. They're working with him in some way. I don't know the back end of it. And that company, who was my first sponsor, uh, they were looking for content ideas. And a buddy of mine suggested, he's like, well, why don't you jump out in a wingsuit and you know try to set some records associated with that? And I was like, absolutely, I'll do that. Mind you, when I agreed to this, I had never put a wingsuit on. So a little bit cart before the horse. Uh, but I found, you know, I went the same path that we went to when I was in the military. Research who's the best at this in the world. Mm-hmm. Contact person, teach me everything you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And he was uh, ended up being the person who uh, taught me how to base jump as well. But did... Um, uh, started working with Skullcandy, the uh, headphone manufacturer... Uh-huh. And between Kilcliffe and Skullcandy, they wanted to do a contact project around the jump attempt for the record. So we do the record attempt, um, broke the record by I think it was about a half a mile. Had uh, I wouldn't call it a documentary. It was some, some. It was a YouTube video essentially, but they were doing some marketing around that. It got into the hands first of a CrossFit centric podcast. Who I went on that podcast, and one of the guys there was named Tate Fletcher, who was an old MMA fighter. Not an old MMA fighter. He's not an old guy. He was an MMA fighter. Previously, he didn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. He, I think he was working out at the gym at the time. He knew Brian Cowan and Brendan Schaub, and he recommended uh, to them that they have me on. So the first one I ever did was that very specific uh, CrossFit-related one, and then I went on The Fighter and the Kid many, many years ago. And shortly after that, Tate called me, and he said, hey, 
I talked to Joe. He wants to have you on the podcast. So I went on Joe's podcast, met him the first time, uh, had really no idea what the fuck a podcast was. Still, I had never listened to one before mm-hmm. I had went on a show. Uh, and I didn't even realize he was a comedian. That's how dumb I am and how checked out. I just thought he was the fear factor guy. That's what I recognized him at. <laughs> I'd lit- and, I, and I wasn't training any type of martial art at the time. So I, I knew what the UFC was. I didn't understand that he was like a ringside commentator and it was the guy. I was like, hey, I'm going to go talk to the fear factor dude about eating bison testicles, right, I guess. Right. So I talked with him the first time, hit it off, um, and I sent him a half aids blade afterwards. Just like, hey, man, I really appreciate it. And uh, just mailed it to his studio and just put a note in there and just and put my name and my phone number. And like a month later, I get a text. He's like, hey, man, this is Joe. I really appreciate the knife. And we kind of just stayed in contact and became friends. I went on about a year later by myself. And at the end of it, after it had, you know, the record button had been hit for the second time, he goes, dude, you should look at doing something like this on your own. And I was still at that time. I was just kind of skydiving and working with brands. And I was doing public speaking at the time. And I have gotten, if I've gotten anywhere in my life, it has almost always been because I follow the advice of somebody who is either more experienced than me, more successful in a certain arena, or smarter. Mm-hmm. Which for me is super easy because that's almost fucking everybody on earth. So at that point, I kind of understood the platform size that he has which is mind-boggling right he has multiple billions of downloads on the like unfucking believable yeah but he's like i'm gonna be the next joe rogan i'm like no you're not but (laughs) (laughs) maybe but you got a fucking uphill everest climb ahead of you and it's this mountain's about 18 times the size of everest but i took his advice and i was working with 511 tactical at the time and one of the guys there said that is a good idea we'll buy you your first kit and that's how it started. Cool. 511 bought me a little Pelican case with a Zoom. I think it was like the Zoom HD6. Two microphones, two microphone stands, and two five pounds. That's fantastic. And then slowly, I added another microphone. And eventually, most of the time, I wait until people won't shut the fuck up. You need to do videos on your podcast. You need to have videos on your podcast. I'm like, you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> but maybe I need to have video on my podcast. So it was like a single Sony Handycam that... Became a, a couple Sony Handycams, and eventually I upgraded them to a, a different version and handed those off to somebody else who was starting one. And then it's the cameras now are, you know, the Blackmagic uh, cameras. And, these are Blackmagic cameras? Yeah, these are Blackmagic 6Ks. Very sexy. And it's, of course, I'm using about 1% of what it's capable for. Yeah. Because I'm not smart enough to operate the menu. <laughs> and Michael refuses to work hard and figure it out for me, so I'm stuck here. Doing I don't like it. working hard. Exactly. But he's got Wikipedia. I mean, yeah. So. What he's yeah. doing it's right now is making a Wikipedia he go- he can page. Google yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And it's just slow and incremental over time. Right before uh, I used to do, I would travel and do them in hotel conference rooms. And then for a while, when we first moved up here, I would have people come out to the house I was staying at. And I got to the point where. That's a little weird, you know, to invite people you don't know to your house. And it's a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah. And some of these guests that are really interesting are women. And it sounds a little rapey to invite them to a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't want to be a part of that shit. <laughs> COVID comes around. And, you know, what can you what can you do? I can't travel. Fuck it. Let's go all in on the podcast. It's an office suite, a totally normal office suite with some sound buffering cushions and some lighting that's relatively new and up until a few years ago, how long have we had the TV, Michael? What did we say, about a year? Um, yeah, like a year and a half, I think. So he would be in the room for maybe two and a half years, and he could do the camera switching before I would off 
load the footage to him and he would do the edit of it. But now it's it's ready to go other than an intro and an outro. And then it's like, oh, well, we could t- actually talk about stuff and pull it up and look That's at cool. it in real time. But, you know, it's like the overnight seven-year process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It started with a Pelican case that was two foot by a three A Pelican foot. case in a dream. Yeah. I didn't, but I didn't even know. You didn't and know so where you were it, going. Yeah. The, yeah. the super long-winded answer to your question was Joe's suggestion. I just took his advice. That's all I did. That's fantastic. And w- what was your concept, or what did you did you? Was it just I'm just going <laughs> to buy? Yeah, <laughs> I still don't know. I, I, I and I think, yeah, because you have a pretty like big variety. Dude, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, if, if you can do that and get an audience around it, I mean, I think it's great to paint like a broader brush. Like we're in a niche ourselves but like I, i'm glad that we're at least able to draw on the intelligence community and talk to analysts and not, journalists not, not just yeah. Yeah. operator bros right i my determining factor for when people reach out which is largely actually now and it's nice because i can kind of look at what's coming in and make the decisions off of that if it seems interesting to me i'll fucking do it. it yeah like i just had a guy on who was a criminal investigator for the irs I didn't even know they had that. I thought they were all people looking through W-2s trying to bend you over the table and shove a lamp up your ass. Yeah. Which, come to find out, a lot of the people are trying right. to do that. But there's apparently a criminal <laughs> investigation site. Yeah. Which he didn't know much about, and he fucking worked for the IRS. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's nothing as reassuring as knowing that there are armed IRS agents out there. So, he and I, yeah. <laughs> we actually, defund. I'm yeah. part of the defund movement with the IRS. We I talked. defund them. We talked a lot, actually, and I asked him specifically that question, and he kind of broke that down. And, yeah, I didn't realize the different roles that they actually fill. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, shit, I, I've had – I had a guy on the episode that will be out in a few weeks. A guy reached out to me, and he said, I've heard you and – Joe and a lot of other podcasters talking only about the positive benefits of psychedelic treatment. He goes, if you ever want to hear from somebody who broke their brain at the age of 17 and spent four years in a private personal hell navigating their way out of that, well, let me know. Like, get your shit. fucking ass on an airplane. We ended up talking for like two and a half hours. Wow. He, and, and, I, and I think it's so valuable to hear that perspective of it too because – Joe does talk openly about psychedelics, and I've had quite a few people on who work for yeah. organizations that deal in that world. And it's just, you know, the more broadly you try to apply something, the more imprecise it is. But sure. how often, if ever, have you heard somebody get on and be like, okay, this is what could potentially go wrong, especially at a young age? And I'm, I mean, it's again, it's a random. Oh, he reached out to me over Instagram. That's how we originally started communicating. I gave my email. Like, how could we not? And then. I mean, Michael was in the room too. I thought that was a fantastic conversation. I mean, it was, it was really good. It was awesome. And two and a half hours later, I'm like, holy shit, man, that was great. Yeah. And it's only his personal experience. He doesn't claim to be an expert. Right. But it's a nice little asterisk to this. Yeah, yeah. Hey, go down and do ayahuasca and you're going to be, you'll be totally healed. Right. I mean, his story was like, uh, what? You, you did what? You started thinking what? Uh, some pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, psychedelics kind of terrify me in some ways. I have no experience and it scares the shit out of me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it's like, I have no problem having a few drinks and modifying your headspace that way. Right. But I'm afraid of eating some fungus because I think I'm going to like finger paint with my own shit or I don't know what I think I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Start making out with Michael on camera, you know? Look, Michael, worst things could happen, though, right? Worst things could happen. Yeah, yeah. we just leave the cameras off normally. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's well, not that it'd be that, weird. That's for be... the OnlyFans channel. 
Oh, yeah. That and your feet pics? <laughs> no, that's on Feet Finder. Yeah. <laughs> So how about you guys? I, I mean, take same... some. No- I've got to take down notes about feet finder. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, same question. To you guys, what where was? The, I mean, obviously you guys knew each other, but what was the, what was the origin story behind it? Yeah, it was. I mean, the so it started out with the D and D thing because Jack started playing. His daughter started playing D and D at school, and we started. I started talking playing about with her when she was like seven. Dungeons Dragons, yeah. and and I like. I had been playing since like sixth grade. Like I, that I loved out. it. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What's your D and D name? It's it's, it's private. Like, that's, that's that's HIPAA protected I, I, information. I, yeah, stop Andy. trying to dox me. You man. were doing it on YouTube, <laughs> so I feel like if I do enough research, stop trying to dox me. Actually, I don't even remember that character's name to be honest with you. Like Bull that character. Shit. But, don't try to avoid the question. But uh, so is it Lord Voldemort or it, some shit like that? No, it, no. It that's S and M man. <laughs> it, it was H Potter, but there's no relationship of whatsoever. Course. Yeah, it was way yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's way before J.K. Rowling ever. Well, I, I met Dave. At, we didn't know each other in the army. We met through a, a ranger meetup in New York City, like yeah. ten years ago. And Is that what it sounds like? Like a pride event? Is like, that what you're, well, no, I mean, obviously, I, I, you guys I, I, were wearing ridiculously short shorts. Yeah. Short shorts, light coat of CLP, shower yeah, shoes. And, totally. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine what a seal meetup would look like i imagine it looks basically the same but with better hair strikingly handsome gentlemen <laughs> yeah actually no most of them would probably be out and look like 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag but okay so you guys didn't know each other when you're in actually it's a good that's a good segue i'll let each of you uh kind of describe your your military experience if you would because uh, it ties into the podcast. Yeah, Jack, go ahead. You can go first. So, yeah, I joined the Army in 2002, went into Ranger Battalion, was in 375, uh, deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq, and then went to SF, went to selection in 2006, graduated the Q course in 2007, and was in fifth group uh, on a free fall team, deployed to Iraq, and got out in 2010. And then went to college, so I know what it's like to be a communist, and uh, and then kind of fell into journalism from there. So that, that's the abridged version of it, anyway. I hear horror stories about modern academia. What was your experience? Not not a horror story. Um, I well, first off, I was in the political science department, so maybe a little bit different than some of the other departments of the school. But no, I, I went to Columbia University, which was like obviously known for being this haven of liberalism and communism and whatnot. But um, I, I didn't find it to be that. I didn't have a horrible experience there. No traumatic uh, experiences or people spitting on me when they found out I was a veteran. There Nothing like that at all. Um, there were probably, at the time I was there, about 250 veterans in the school. Mm-hmm. They've, they've done a lot of outreach to try to get more vets to go to the school. Um, so I, I graduated from Columbia in 2014. So that's we're, we're almost 10 years out at this point. Did you at least find it when you were there to be an environment that was open to expose, explore, and challenge ideas? Or was it very ideological? I, That's I, what I've heard horror story. When I say horror story, very distinct narratives uh, in a certain slant. Um, I, I think with the professors, they're more open to exploring different types of ideas. What you might run into in certain pockets is the students who are very young. Um, young people tend to be more passionate, I think, about certain things, more ideological, more certain that they're 100% correct on a topic. I, I definitely saw some food fights, so to speak, in some classrooms uh, <laughs> of the younger younger students 
bickering and yelling at each other once in a while. Um, so you might see some inflexibility there. But I, I think the professors are more adult, more mature. They're more willing to explore some of those ideas. Okay. That's my experience anyway. Did you come from a military family? No, not at all. Um, well, my grandfather was drafted in World War II in, into the uh, Navy, but he, he passed away before I was even born. So real answer, no, I, I'm not from a military family at all. What was your decision-making point to leave service? Um, I'd say the final nail in the coffin for me was Iraq in 2009 and going over there and just seeing the way the war was being fought and the feeling of, you know, I, I came to this point once where I realized like, hey, I can come into work and give 110% or I can not come into work at all and I'll have almost the exact same result yeah. because all the decisions have already been made. Um, and you can look at that at like a lower tactical level or you can like zoom out to like a strategic level and what was going on with the withdrawal in Iraq at that point, what, either way, um, and just come to the conclusion like, well, w w what are we doing here? And I, I don't think you can really serve as an elite soldier or in a special operations unit with that mentality, right? I, I, they, they it would just, be hard. Yeah, it, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. Um, so that that was the final nail in the coffin for me, and also just the the, the like just mind crippling soulless bureaucracy of of that, that that existed in special forces, at least in my in my experience. Um, that uh, that was enough for me. And you knew leaving the military that journalism was going to be the no. right pursuit. Really? No, I had no idea. I uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but at the same time, you know, my, my daughter was being born. Uh, I started going to college. It was, it was clear to me that I was going through like some pretty big life changes there. And journalism was something I just sort of fell into, um, you know, startup company type stuff. And then realizing, oh, I have to write now. I have to report news. And um, that's kind of how I fell into that. And, you know, we talked earlier about some of the really shitty things about that that uh, particular job. But on the other hand, I also got to do a lot of things that I wanted to do. I went back to Iraq. I went to Syria a few times, went to the Philippines, South Korea. I did these reporting trips around the world, running around combat zones. So there were, there were good things that came out of it, too. If you had to choose running around as a journalist or running around as a soldier in a combat zone, which one would you choose? So they have they each has pros and cons, and I mean, going doing it as a journalist, I mean, it, 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 there's an exhilaration in of itself. Um, you're not carrying a weapon, but what you are able to do is make all of your own decisions, and w how far you can get, how much access you can get, where you can go, who you talk to. That's like completely dependent on you. Nothing's being given to you at all. Uh, making allegedly illegal border runs and all hypothetically, these, hypothetically, yeah. of course, um, all of that is on you. So like when you're completely self-reliant on yourself to do those things, there's like an exhilaration to it. However, there's no combat medic standing by. There's no AC-130 overhead. If you get into trouble, the helicopters aren't coming. Um, so, uh, I mean, this gets into a, a bit of an other subject, but I mean, to try to relate these two occupations to, to one another, I came to the realization at a certain point that I wasn't a soldier anymore, but I was like continuing to sort of like try to find a way to live this sort of lifestyle, this like high stress, adrenaline fueled lifestyle to try to like keep that, that high level up there. And, um, and that wasn't necessarily healthy. You know, and I don't have a problem with war reporting or going and doing that sort of like, you know, on the ground reporting. It's really important. But I did come to the conclusion at a certain point, like, am I really doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. You know, 
Interesting. Mr. Burke. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I started out in the Marine Corps Reserve. Uh, I was there for a year, and then the Gulf War started, and I wasn't going to go uh, with... The Gulf War? Yeah. Yeah, 89. God, you're old. I am ancient. Yeah. Ancient. Um, and I wasn't going to go, so I decided, or, or like my unit, I wasn't jump qualified in an Anglico unit, so I decided that... I tried to go active Marine, and they wouldn't take me because they considered me prior service. So I figured my next best route was to be um, a Navy corpsman with the Marines. So I joined the Navy, uh, became a corpsman. But during that process, because I had to go back through boot uh, and then core school, and by the time I was done, the war was done. Uh, the Fleet Marine Force was full of corpsmen. They didn't need any more. And so I became a diver, a hard-at diver in the Navy as a dive med tech. Uh, did that. Um, got out for a couple years, stayed in the guard. I was in the, like the Air National Guard for like six months at, at uh, like the 129th Power Rescue. Great guys. Mm -hmm. Just their pipeline was so backed up. I didn't know when I was going to go. So then I hopped over to uh, an SF Guard uh, unit. And um, I was there for like two years. And the, uh, the SF community uh, was just switching over from uh, Reserve and Guard to All Guard. So they were having problems with their sort of pipeline too. So a lot of us were sort of on the, you know, these selection teams for a long time. And I just wanted to do something. So, uh, you know, I had a couple buddies there who had been Rangers and they're like, hey, if you want to go do this stuff, just go be a Ranger. And so that's what I did. So uh, at the ripe old age of 27, I joined Ranger Battalion or, you know, I joined the Army and mm -hmm. went to Ranger Battalion and then um, left uh, Ranger Battalion uh, in 2000 and went, like, joined the National Guard, went to DLI, the Defense Language Institute, studied Arabic for 15 months, and I graduated, uh, I think, I want to say, like, it was either October or November of 2001. So September 11th had just happened, and, you know, here I am, an Arabic speaker and whatnot. Arabic speaker? What'd you test out at? Two plus three. Okay, you're an Arabic speaker. So <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, so you know, I was trying to hook up with my guard unit, um, but they had already been mobilized. I was kind of sitting around and got a job contracting, um, basically being like a language based enabler for JSOC, and did that for a couple of years. Was you know in and out of Afghanistan a lot. Part of the initial push, like I was out of um, Saudi yep. for the, you know, for JSOC's push into um, into Iraq. Oh, down in RR. Uh huh. Yeah, we were yep. in the same place. So. Yep. And then, um, and then, two thousand four started contracting uh, under, you know, for one of the organizations under ODNI. You know, the Alphabet Soup Crew, if you will. Well, you know, fifteen different organizations. Take yeah. your pick. Um, and then did that for like six years as sort of, you know, an enabler and, you know. Uh, yeah. And so how did you like working for the old three letter acronym agencies? Um, there, I loved my time, you know, working for them. They, uh, they were, you know, um, yeah, I loved it. I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what else to say. It was a I lot mean, of, if it was enjoyable. It was yeah. Enjoyable. It was very enjoyable. A lot of independence, um, a lot of opportunities for training to do stuff, uh, worked with a lot of different elements, you know, um, a lot of combat, which I think all of us, you know, when, 
especially for me, like growing up pre 9-11, having been a ranger pre 9-11, you know, the idea that there's never going to be another war, that, right. that, that it's always going to be a peacetime military. Um, and that's one of the reasons, like, I left Ranger Battalion because it just seemed like it was just going to be a peacetime operation all the time. You know, you get spun up for stuff. And, and, and you left in 2000? Yeah, I left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I left in 2000. So Timing counts. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, an interesting, the interesting thing, though, is I wonder if people joining the military now have that same thought. I bet they do. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and it's I more kinetic. I joined in 96 um, where, you know, combat was theoretical. Not certainly not practical. I know that. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I think what is it? Forty-four countries right now. We have a presence in or a special operations component in, which is of course going to have all of the enablers and conventionals uh, supporting that as well. Today they they might get a pump to Syria. They might get a pump to Horn of Africa. But it's going to be limited numbers, though. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if the headspace is back to. Well, this is kind of just peacetime. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how it – like, I don't know if they're getting pushed out at all or spun up for stuff. Like, the world still seems more like – My understanding is that op-tempo has drastically slowed, even at the highest levels. Yeah. At, uh, from my understanding, JSOC now is deploying only for purpose. They are no longer, like, surging overseas and waiting. It's basically back to the pager stuff. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but it does. it does feel – like, it might be the biggest case of blue balls because, like, in the 90s, we didn't think we were going to go. Now it feels like the world's more on fire and that something could happen at any time. So it might be more of a tease. Do you understand that reference, Michael? What? Blue balls? Blue ball? I understand okay, blue balls. I mean, I don't know yeah. generationally. <laughs> no, is that something the young kids yeah, use Yeah, I was going to say, for now. Yeah, it's, okay. still, okay. it's still in the vernacular. Okay. It yeah. still happens. I didn't understand. I thought there might have been a generational gap, and I wanted yeah, you to have that in your Rolodex. Yeah, right. thank you. All right, yeah. fair. So I mean, you got to um, check in with a younger crew, man. Look, we're we're, we're, we're crossing borders here. We're speaking across yeah. boundaries. Later on, he has to tell us some of like the slang that the kids oh, use he nowadays, does. so we can get he's, up to speed. He's taught me. And you I, guys know what glizzies are? No, no, hot dogs, or glizzies? in the modern vernacular, big old cock. Yeah, uh, oh. it's an interchangeable term. Really, it can technically yeah. be a hot dog or a dick. And I think often, one has a bun, the other does not. Well, oftentimes it's used interchangeably in one sentence to be for comedic value. I, I appreciate that. Okay. So yep. I'm not going to use one big cock when I take my kid out, uh, but glizzy, glizzies, glizzy. I should throw yeah. glizzies sure. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What okay. hit, us, hit us with something else. 24 year olds. know that we uh, don't mid cap. Bussin. Mid cap and bussin. I know all of those. I don't know those. Mid so. is exactly. You're just, oh, I know yeah, mid. I like yeah. you're just mid level. Mid cap like, is yeah. mean. If somebody says cap, that means bullshit. Oh, where does that come from? Do you know? Who? What's the etymology? I don't know, actually. I have to know the etymology. <laughs> and then bussin' just means it's kind of badass. Bussin'? Yeah. Bussin'. Bussin'. Yeah. B-U-S-S-I-N. So nobody says, like, that's some dope shit. Nobody no, they'd says be like, dope In the modern anymore. era, they'd be that's like, that, or they'd say Dating that. myself. They'd be like, that slaps. Or oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting. Or that's bussin'. I'm still waiting for burnt your cookie to come back. Burnt your, that's never coming back. <laughs> well, Nor do I think it was ever actually a thing. What about jive turkey? If you call somebody a jive turkey. A jive ass turkey. Yeah. That's from like the 1950s or I was going to say, 70s. how fucking old are you? <laughs> I'm ancient. I told you I'm ancient. Yeah. You're digging into the well of before you were born <laughs> shit right there. Michael, what else is there? Um, Off the top of my head, I can't really think of any. My 15-year-old really helps me with these. Because yeah. I'll use them, and once I kind of get like a rough understanding of what they are, I completely use them intentionally wrong in front of her friends. <laughs> and That's she, awesome. Dad, 
you can't say that. I'm like, hey, have your friends come over. We're doing glizzies. <laughs> Dad! <laughs> yeah. And then my middle son, he's all, he's like, when are we doing glizzy fest? And my daughter's just like, oh, fuck. What else, Michael? Uh, Give me some terms. Well, let's see. Let's, let's just look up some modern slang. Here's the problem with him. He's 24, but he's an old soul. Like, if you ask him what he likes to do on Friday, he'll tell you read poetry. Yeah. You know, or like... Little Edgar Allan Poe? He'll go out, walk out into the woods and stare into the stars and think, you know, about life. Oh, a little, th- a little Thoreau then. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little Henry David Thoreau there. Yeah. yeah. He's an older soul yeah. for 24. Yeah. But right. you probably hang out with some absolute idiots of your age. What kind of stuff do they say? Um, I actually try to put myself around people that aren't idiots. <sighs> Fuck it. <laughs> why you're, why you're are you linked to the upcoming I, uh, generation? Why are you in this room right <laughs> now? Like find a, why are you in this room? He needed a job. Yeah. We, we need to find a real degenerate for this conversation. Yeah. Exactly. He needed yeah. a job. Um, okay, drip. You guys know what drip is? Yeah. Isn't drip old now? Isn't that I think so. already? That's coming. It's gone, still Michael. pretty new. Because I busted that one out with my daughter when she yeah. was when her and her friends were like, you "Come know, get some of this new drip." Eight or nine, yeah. and yeah, it's the same thing. Daddy, you're in. I have a question: Are people still spilling tea, or is is there a new um, term for that now? No, I think tea is still like acceptable slang. Is it? Yeah, yeah. But dishing isn't definitely not. No, I dishing. haven't heard dishing in a yeah. long time. Throwing shade. Yeah. I don't For, think they use that one either anymore. Yeah, it's definitely on the out for yeah. sure. I think they would understand it, but judge you very harshly for using it. Yeah. Uh, shook. Shook? I'm like shook. I'm shook? Yeah. But is, is it a good thing or a bad thing to be shook? Um, It's like surprised. Like, oh, surprised. What? You know? Like I'm shook. I don't personally use it, but that's fun. I yeah, describe so, you well. But so, I mean. so nobody says nobody says that they're nonplussed anymore. Oh no! no. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever way, did. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, vibe check. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's relatively self-explanatory. Those aren't the vibes. Yeah. Is a. Oh, another one is. Uh, it's giving, and you end it there. So, like, what you would normally like before that it would be, oh, it's giving whatever energy. But now people just end it at it's giving. What? And you're supposed to fill in the negative space? Yeah, and you're space? supposed to understand The adjective, yeah. come up with yeah. it on your own. That, that's some Ericksonian language right there, making general statements and allowing people to basically yeah, personalize it, fill it in themselves. Yeah. 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 Very I, inclusive. I finally, finally, just last week, got uh, started using on fleek properly. So, Ooh, yeah, that one's pretty old. Oh, it is. I was yeah. going to say, it, just yeah, in that's... time for that to be completely <laughs> passe. It took me for like five years to get it down. It's giving. <laughs> Yeah, so you could I, say I, it's giving I, like shaman vibes and look at this am, <laughs> a, the amber amulet that I'm wearing. You could say that. You could, but you wouldn't say shaman vibes. You would say, oh, it's giving. But how the fuck would they know what I'm talking about unless I say that? I don't know. And that's why I hate it. If it's you were cool, dumb. you would know. I think that's like the implied thing. The right? emperor's new clothes. How can you oh, passive aggressively make fun of somebody without <laughs> giving some of those details? Yeah, Otherwise, it would be like uh, right over the top of their head. Yeah. We're all so fucked. Fuck these yeah. kids. There's another one, Riz. Damn it. Oh, what, yeah, Riz. What does Riz mean? That one's kind of, so it, it used to be like- Mojo. Yeah, you got mojo. Like, you're really good at talking to girls. Oh, no How's shit. your Riz? How's your Riz? But it's kind of, so it gets to a point where it's like super cool to use it, and now 
the uh like general population has gotten a hold of it and now for the up and coming people it's like oh we don't use that anymore it's because, it's because of exactly know. these conversations <laughs> yeah. where the olds start talking to yeah. the younger and they're like by us by, just by virtue of talking about it it's like, not cool oh this is going to waterfall down and like we yeah. got it all that shit i'll say that <laughs> every word every word that you've told us about will be extinct by next week because we use them on this show <laughs> it is wild though it is uh, you know you look at uh how old is your daughter, Jack? She's uh, 12. Cell phone yet or no? Yes. They can communicate in like a code language. They're like code whisperers. Hieroglyphics with the emojis. The emojis or the abbreviations. My daughter, who I love texting with, she's fantastic. I'll ask her a question sometimes and she'll respond with an abbreviation that is somewhere between 8 to 12 characters. <laughs> And I have to write back, what the fuck does that mean? And then it breaks. And I guess I can see a little bit of where it's kind of coming from. But holy shit, they are murdering the English language. And maybe it's faster to type it out like that. I don't know. But it is shocking, the abbreviations that they use. And that allows them to have conversations in plain sight. I was reading an article one time where it was talking about, uh, it was for parents, like warning signs if you see things on your kid's phone when it comes to texting. Because they have these really non sequitur abbreviations. One of them is like, parents are in the room, can't talk. You know, like ways to talk around stuff. Yeah. Very overt that a parent, because we're idiots it, and hieroglyphs to them. It's like thieves can't. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, right, whole code right. language. It's some D&D lore. Yeah. No, thieves, <laughs> thieves can't was an actual thing in like Victorian England. Oh, was it? Interesting. Yeah. I prefer it to be There's more D and D. Yeah, I yeah, I don't care about history. I mean, if if it didn't happen in D and D, like isn't D and D just living history? You Wikipedia. Fucks. <laughs> Damn it! Well, Jack, you can get on you can get on the Wikipedia page and and uh, edit thieves can't later. Here's a question for you: Listening to you talk about your military journey, why don't the Marines just have their own corpsmen? So for people listening, the Navy corpsmen they become FMF corpsmen and they go and they support the Marine Corps. Why doesn't the Marines just have their own corpsmen? I, I feel like it's just always been that way. Um, you know, I, I, structurally, I, they were under the Department of the Navy, so I guess that makes sense. Right. But... I, I don't know why that's remained a consistent part of the Marine Corps, where they still use Navy corpsmen. Um, I have no idea why, but you know, it's. I think for a corpsman, it's a great job, you know, because you're even more so than, say, being a medic in an army line uh, company that, or, or what, or platoon, because you're like Doc, like you're you're a separate entity in a way. And yeah. um, I mean, obviously still within the rank structure and stuff, but there's definitely a kind of a standout personality. Docs are kind of, I mean, a good doc is revered in the Marine Corps more so than any like combat medic I've really ever seen in the infantry, even if they're every bit as good. Well, it's easier to put you know to put holes in things than to stop hydraulic fluid from coming out of them. Absolutely. So, I could see that. Yeah, Jack, you were saying you feel the podcast is a little, a little bit in uh, in a niche. Do you guys want it to be that way, or are you kind looking of, to move out of it's that? It's a it's a little bit elitist, yeah. Um, but no, we're not looking to move out of it. Um, Before you say anything else, we are collectively idiots because we have talked about your podcast but have not mentioned the name of it a single time yet and we're a couple hours into this. <laughs> it's the team house podcast you can go find on youtube or spotify or itunes or wherever you guys want to check it out but yeah it, it is a bit of a niche uh, in the in the subject matter we talk about is a little niche it's special ops guys intelligence community people sometimes conventional military folks 
um, sometimes federal law enforcement. Journalists. Uh, who, histori- cover, who cover those topics. Oh, historians sometimes. But okay. yeah, it's, it's mostly, I mean, we have had um, a voice actor on before who voice, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. The call of duty. Yeah. The call of duty. Yeah. And, and it's either James Earl Jones or nobody. Right? <laughs> I don't give a shit how good the call of duty guy sounds. Um, yeah, we nerd out sometimes. Uh, we've had comic book artists on, we've had, um, but it's very, very rare. Yeah. Um, it's very rare. Yeah, we kind of stay stay in that theme. But, I mean, yeah, one day it'll be somebody who is an operator. Another day it'll be someone who is an intel analyst. The next day it could be an FBI agent. So, it, But it's in that in that vibe. Yeah. 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 I like it. Yeah. And, and you know, like how do you feel about this? Because obviously you have a very successful podcast, um, but there's always a way to get more success if you lean more into politics or lean more yeah. into like trending fashion. You're talking about chasing the shiny object. Yeah, I yeah. won't do it. Yeah, that's it's kind not, of where we it's are not too. Worth it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's hard to describe how cathartic it has been for me to sit down and have conversations with other people about their experiences. Mm-hmm. It gives me a different way that I can view my own experiences. It gives me an enhanced level of empathy and compassion for what I mean I, I've sat across from uh, God I can't remember her name off the top of my head but I think it was in Niger her husband was killed he was a green beret Michelle yes Michelle and uh, fuck I can't even imagine being on the other side of the right and like a lot of people who get that knock they knew something was up it was just something you know yeah, yeah. and it's just the worst case scenario coming through and then Having to take your kids to a park and waiting a day mm-hmm. to tell them so you could do it at the appropriate time so you could get back support from your grandparents and going to a park. Holy fuck. I mean, how can you not be changed as a person listening about that experience? So, I, you know, if you gave me the choice of you can continue on the path that you are on and who knows what level the podcast would grow to. Or you could chase the shiny object and not enjoy yourself. Right. And yep. feel fucking yep. dirty. Right. At the end of the day. Oh, but a lot more people will know your name. You can fuck off into the sunset. But it, become, it becomes just another job you don't really like. I, this is my favorite thing to yeah. do. This yeah. is, and I never, you know, it goes back to how did I have the idea to start this? It wasn't my fucking idea. That's yeah. how I had the idea. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was going to be. And I didn't know anything about, you know, I think it was two years into it i got a random cold cold call but it was an email what do you call it a, what do you call a cold call email by the way a cold email what would that be yeah, an I, unsolicited email I, that I, shows up what is that like yeah like a cold lead or i, I yeah I, uh, I don't know what the fuck it is yeah so i get one it was from an advertising company i didn't know anything about i had heard ads on podcasts but i certainly didn't start a podcast to advertise and over years it has grown, and that's why I just put it back into what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, don't give me your, it, it impacts my ability to do the things that I want to do as well, and there's benefit to your life. And I'm not anti-capitalist by any stretch of the imagination, but if you offered me a shit ton of money, and oh, and people will know who you are, but I had to do that, right? And it, and then once I think you go down that route, what do you do if you see a dip? Do you right. have to find something more controversial? Right. Yes. Do you have to have more more logs on the fire? And then you're fucking Alex Jones. Right. I, who, I, there's a lot of things, I'll be honest with you, from an entertainment perspective, that motherfucker, <laughs> he's great. Because he's insane. And I love the shit he says sometimes. But I can't get behind it, 
But goddamn, that guy's entertaining. Yeah, I, I think that's the trajectory a lot of the pundits go on because you always have to top yourself. You have to say something crazier and crazier and crazier until yeah. you finally just crash and burn, you know? Yeah. Which I think will happen if you give it long enough, especially if you are, if you start getting near the, the edge and it, you know, you see somebody else maybe do something. Okay, well, I need to do that, but a little bit more. The next thing you know, you're cascading off of the edge of that thing. I just... I don't have any interest in doing that. Yeah, I get personally too much out of it, and I am not talking about an economic um, yeah. measurement of that. From just as a person, I get so much out of it from doing it. So when you get some of those like cold calls from not from advertisers, but yeah. from people who either it's their publicist reaching out to you, which is always odd, um, or from them personally, and you like read their bio. And My you're favorite like, though is when a publicist reaches out for an author that I personally know well. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I, sir or madame. And they always say the same. I'm a huge fan of your content and the Cleared Hot podcast. And I've also seen the templates where they forget to change the name yeah. or they leave the name highlighted. I'm like, you're definitely playing varsity fucking basketball at this point. Right. And they, this is who I represent. And I'll write back, do you mean the guy I've had on a few times and who has my personal cell phone number? Just let me know if he wants to come back on. Right, right. What the fuck, man? Do your homework. Do a little research. I've, yeah. had a, I've had a couple where they try to be like really spooky. Like, do you want to have this secret agent from the CIA on no. your mind? like, no. do you know what we even do here? Like, what? <laughs> it, 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 it's, yeah, it's like, you, like this, what you're saying right now is not tantalizing. Like it, it it's, and I don't, put this necessarily on the on the person themselves because this is the publicist I think generating a lot of this but it comes across so douchey yes <laughs> you know yes. it comes across <laughs> just so douchey it's like this is not the way to approach us no and then occasionally I mean I do read them and I'll get into them like oh that does sound like an interesting book yeah and I, I can separate hey the publicist doing the, what I would say a little bit of a cringy advertising yeah, yeah. yeah. but the person will probably be okay yeah yeah but it, it, it is interesting to get a high volume of those and try to separate your way through it. And it's again, it's either interesting to me or it's not. Yeah, it literally, is as, as easy as it is for me to make a decision on that. Have there have you had any guests that you've had a hard time validating yes. or verifying? Uh, yes, I have, and there have been there has been one that it got a little bit wild and this particular individual wanted to start using like active duty service members names, which it's the only time I've gone back out and actually the only time I've ever edited for content is I beeped out their names because they don't have the ability to defend themselves. Right. And so I let the person talk in the manner that they wanted to talk and beeped out everything else. That was probably as far as not necessarily being able to vet. Other than that, in real time, I'll push back on people yeah. if, they, if it starts going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But so far, it's, I haven't encountered that many issues. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had we've had. It's funny because you get these you get these emails sometimes from people, and they're you, they're showing you photos and claiming that they did something, and you, like you know where these photos are, or yeah. you're reaching out to other people that can be like, we've never heard of this this dude. Um, and it's sort of like I would how, I would absolutely have that person on, and I would destroy their fucking life really on air. I mean, why not? I get yeah. to have fun too. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I think I should have my cake we've, and eat it too. I, I agree. I'm all, I'm all for we've it. We've had a few of those. Also, a few people who like do not come from our network. They kind of come those unsolicited emails or whatever. Yeah. 
and they're claiming all of these things they did and they want to be on the podcast. And I'm like, okay, and we're getting them scheduled then because I don't know the person personally, or they're not a friend of a friend or whatever the case may be. I'm like, okay, I need to see a DD 214 now. Yeah. And poof. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is too. Photoshop's a real thing. Yeah. 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 You know, it's uh God, this fuck this happens far too often. I'll speak about this broadly because it touches a little bit closer to home than it should right now. But let's just say somebody in my extended family may or may not be in a relationship with somebody who was telling oh, them no. stories. Oh. Oh. Here's the thing, right? Like how fast can you recognize a story that doesn't quite fit? Yeah. So you guys are both from the army world. Let's use this as an example. Somebody was in for a total of four years. Got out as an E4. Claims to have made it through as a Green Beret and deployed a few times. No longer allowed back into a particular country because they were part of a you know a body. You know they were going out and grabbing people. How they were identified by true name, I'm not sure. Uh, claims combat related TBIs. No Purple Hearts. No combat awards. And. Uh, that was the level of knowledge or information that I had received. And I was like, I, I have questions. I have a few. I didn't go down the Green Beret pipeline. But I think it might take you about the first four years of your enlistment to do that. And they're probably going to ask you to re-enlist after that. Also, what is the secret mission shit that probably tier one units would be doing? It's like, what the fuck? Every, everybody wearing a green hat is at least an E5, too. So right there. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Maybe they sent a picture of them and their gear, and there's no helmet, and there's no ballistic gear of any kind. And then the Rhodesian harness, perhaps their magazines are facing opposite directions, <laughs> and there's no magazine in the magwell. And you're like, this is clearly not somebody who comes from that world. And then you know what gets really frustrating is that when the person you try to share that information with so they can make better life choices yeah, yeah. argues against it. It's right. like, you know what? Bon voyage. Right. Right. Yeah. I I – how do you personally, like when you meet like the whole stolen valor thing, does Thank that you make, for your service. does it make you angry? Yeah. Does it make you angry? Does it, does it laugh? Do you laugh? Like, what do you think about it these days? I have not had like a crazy interaction. Yeah. Um, there has been at the coffee shop, I have been told somebody who comes in there wearing a green beret, a civilian top with military medals on it. I want to meet this person mostly because I am fascinated by their story and their service. <laughs> and I have some questions. And more than anything, I want to listen. But if I determine that they are full of shit, they're leaving all that stuff at the coffee shop. But that's about as far as I would take it. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I feel bad for them. Yeah. I mean, because most of the time, and I don't know what your guys' experience is, they did actually serve. Right. But for some reason, they feel like what they did wasn't good enough. So they take what they did and they start layering shit on it. But then their whole identity becomes about the stuff that they're layering on it. And my theory is just be fucking proud of what you did. Right. Be proud. And this metric of me and measuring your service against somebody else's, what a recipe for being unhappy. Oh, yeah. And oh, if, yeah. You know, for those people... If it doesn't directly, I always answer people honestly because people say, hey, well, these are the stories that this person is telling me. And most of the time people reach out, hey, and this just happened. Hey, we have somebody getting ready to come through our firehouse. They're claiming to have been a SEAL. Does this story make sense? And I'll just kind of look at it. Like the timeline doesn't make sense. There's mm -hmm. no way they could have done these things in the allot. Like the E5, all of them are in E5. This fucking dude got out as an E4. Can't 
case closed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but I know kind of the seal pipeline. I'm like, oh, you have to do boot camp and then buds and then about an 18 month training pipeline. And sometimes there's time in between. And this dude was in for six years, but did 87 combat deployments. I have questions and I'll give him the information. Um, and then, then they have to do what they want to do that with that. But most of the time, I just feel bad for them. Yeah. And unless they're really trying to take advantage of people, I don't feel like it's my role to right every wrong right. that I encounter the, in my life. The weirdest ones I've come across actually were women. One, really? one of them claimed she was in JSOC. Another claimed that her, well, first it started off, it was her brother was a Green Beret. And then that evolved in time to my husband is a Green Beret. Freud would have a field day with that one. I was going to say, were they the same person? I mean, people from Alabama do join the military, <laughs> so it is possible. And, and we do love Alabama, but yeah. it and, and again, I don't yeah. even know why I said Alabama because maybe <laughs> Louisiana would be better. And I have nothing against any of that. I'm just saying. And look into then it. there was one. It was a woman who claimed that her. Uh, it was. I think it was her fiance was a dev group guy who died, who was killed. Yeah, that's and not verifiable that, at all. Yeah, yeah, it was all <laughs> a whole house of cards, man. Fuck, man. It's like stealing widow valor. I mean, I, I guess that's a thing. It's yeah. it's weird. It's yeah. really weird. And and the thing is, though, is while you're investigating, like if you're trying to find out the details, you sound like a you, you sound like an asshole just by asking. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, a lot of people won't for that reason. Well, they won't for that reason, and they don't know the questions to ask. Yeah. Right. And if you could actually get somebody to produce a DD-214 and it's legitimate, I could separate the wheat from the chaff in seconds. Right. That's why they don't generally want to give them. And then sometimes I have seen them be like, this isn't correct. Right. And oh, by the way, the font's a little bit off on this particular section. Can you, do you guys know, can you FOIA a DD-214? Will they redact like I... social security number? I think I'm not. I'm trying to think of what the rules are. I, I have definitely FOIA'd like uh, Navy, the Navy version of them, like fit reps and stuff like that. Uh, I think the rule, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, they might have to be deceased uh, for you to be able to get that. However, uh, if they're living, you should be able to get a one pager that you know it's like a one page biography with some really basic military yeah, biography. And they could black out the that, that's not even a FOIA request actually to do that. I think that's why we're seeing more and more like stolen dollar with like the intelligence agencies now because there's there's no way to, yeah, it's impossible to verify to verify. Uh and you know, n none of the agencies are gonna come out and say like this never per this person never worked here because then everybody they didn't say that for they're essentially they they can there is a process for that yeah but they usually won't yeah yeah at the end of the day man or woman and they're laying in bed at night looking at the ceiling fan doing laps how hard must it be to live and and like go to bed every night knowing that you're living a fucking life i don't know I, man I, that's that's the thing that gets me when or do they start believing it I think some of them. Do. I think some of them do. And, and the thing that gets me sometimes is when I see people I know on podcasts or I know of, like blat who? blatantly like lying. Who? Yeah, just names. Like who? <laughs> blatantly lying. Like who, who are you talking about, Dave? <laughs> um, blatantly lying. Um, I for me, it's a matter of how how can you be so shameless? Like there there are living people. There are people who know you're lying. How, how does that not bother you? I would be ashamed. You know, I would be ashamed to like, I, I, would, I would be ashamed if I said something 
if I misremembered something and said it and somebody corrected me later, you know, I said, Hey Dave, you know, this, this isn't how that went down. Even if I was in, incorrect, I'd be ashamed. I can't imagine how somebody who knows who people they served with or whatever know that they're lying like a whole community yeah. and they still just do it. And I'm like, how, like, how, how do you do that? Social just go on a podcast yeah. and lie. Who does that? They're, they're sociopaths. Yeah. You know, there are people, there are generally people out there who don't feel guilty. Yeah. Who don't feel that shame. Um, yeah. And unfortunately they're usually the louder version of those communities. And yeah. so they paint yeah. the super quiet minority and it, it, it really makes things askew yeah. in my opinion at least. Yeah. It really does. I just, like I said, it just amazes me the shamelessness of it all though. What do you guys do outside of the podcast or is it full-time? Uh, it's not full-time, although it's growing. So, I mean, it's getting a little bit closer to becoming that. But um, I, I still work for um, a, a company called Odyssey, and I, I write veteran-oriented stuff for them for a website called ConnectingVets.com. And then myself and a, another journalist, Sean Naylor, we have a news outlet that we started together. Uh, and we publish a lot of, like, soft intel news uh, articles on there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I pivoted to into cybersecurity not too long ago. Um, got laid off, but you know, but that's the area I'm working in right now. Okay. Yeah. If you guys could make the podcast full time, would you go down that path? I would never stop writing. I don't see myself ever doing that. But yeah. um, you know, it's just one of those things. If it became more of a full time job, it would I could be able to focus my time a little bit better. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love like I love cybersecurity. I love the field. Um, so I don't know that I would ever leave that field. I'm you know it would give me well it has it gives me options like it. I don't have to just take any job because yeah, I have yeah, yeah. I have options right now like yeah. like because of the podcast I can be picky. Um, so I don't but I do love the field. I love the people I've met in that field. There there are a lot of like warriors in that field who may not you know be on a battleground yeah. but but it's sort of a different battle space, but they're, they're everybody as patriotic and committed as, as any spec ops, you know, person you've ever met. And do you guys both still live in NYC? Yeah. Yeah. I live in Brooklyn, Dave's in Queens. Yeah. I was yeah. just out there a week ago, very briefly for a speech. It is, uh, not the same as Kalispell. <laughs> <laughs> where, where you, was this like Midtown? Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. The Fifth Avenue Hotel, I think where it was. They just opened the place up. It was very nice. I mean, the event was great, but man, I don't think I could go back to a big city. Yeah. After it, making the move from, you know, San Diego, which it's still not as populous as New York as far as a compressed nature. There's a lot of stuff I can appreciate about it. I mean, I, the first thing I did in the morning is just go out and walk around. The yeah. hotel was near the Empire State Building and kind of just cruise around and grab coffee from different vendors and some glizzies, some uh, <laughs> street glizzies. Well, that was in Hell's Kitchen, the glizzies? Could have been. I don't know where the fuck Hell's Kitchen is, so it's it's the it's a district one might go to if they were looking for glizzies in New York. Okay, so so there you go, used interchangeably. Perfect. Yeah. You've already adapted I, it well. I, I've lived there for over ten years at this point, and I mean, whether you like it or not, I mean, it is quite a jarring experience yeah. Yeah. to go back and forth. Just the the number of people in of itself. You'll see more people. I flew out of I flew into LaGuardia and out of JFK. In both of those airports. I will see more people in walking to my terminal than I will in probably a month here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. It, it's beautiful out here. And I just want to give you guys a shout out. Your cafe is beautiful. Like the I, shop, I, I, I love it. I, 
Like, it's a place that if I were local, I'd hang out. It has that warm, welcoming, almost lodgy feel to it. Like, yep. it's really nice. Yeah, yep. we tried to make it as Montana-esque as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Cybersecurity. Yeah. God, yeah. That's a whole other realm that I don't think people realize is as fragile and as vulnerable. It's, you know, yeah, just log on to the public Wi-Fi and do your banking. It's totally fine. What could possibly happen? Yeah. It's a fascinating field. I've met... I mean, some amazing people. I mean, people who, uh, you know, have no military, have no, you know, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. But they are, you know, conducting ops. They're doing their stuff in in ways that, uh, I mean, just, it, it makes me wonder why we don't just go back to the privateer model, you know, where, you know, the government just issues like letters of mark for these white hat hackers to go after the bad guys because there are so many talented, brilliant people out there who may be like a little neurodivergent in some ways and may never get into the or military. Or a little bit of a... Or, yeah, you know, a little, you know... Pre- just, that precludes their military service. Yeah. They just have headaches. Yeah. But... Glaucoma. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, they, they, they may not, you know, be people who necessarily... Or they may have committed crimes when they were younger because they were kids and had the world at their fingertips. Um, but but they're, you know what I mean? But they're, they're brilliant, passionate people. But they're reformed. People. They've changed their minds exactly. about things. Well, and, or they've changed their mind about how they're going to go about it, you know? It's like two-thirds yeah. of a SEAL platoon anyways, right? <laughs> uh, Three-quarters, probably. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah, the community definitely changed over time. I, me- I remember when I first got in. Well, to say that it was a, a culture ingrained in alcohol is not an understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because you don't see it in doctrine. And they're like talking about safety briefs on the Friday, like, God damn it. Stop getting DUIs. <laughs> and right after the safety break, hey guys, we're going to do a kegger on the uh, grinder at uh, noon. And if you're a new guy, you get these guys need to be the last one to leave. It's like, fucker, I drove to work. How am I supposed to get home? Right. You're telling me not to get a DUI, but it's a mandatory kegger on Friday. I don't know what to do with this information. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol is a big part of the military culture. I mean, well, now, or at least when I got out, you went out of the military fast, get an ARI, an alcohol related incident ejection seat. Yeah. More often than not. Trident gone, like admin sep, see you later. Yeah. I don't know how it was when Jack was there, but when I was at Ranger Battalion in the late 90s, like to RFS is uh, released for standards. Basically, they kick you out of battalion, they have to go down the road to an infantry unit or whatever and get an alcohol related incident. All you had to do was have a drink or two and get in a fight. Even if you didn't start it, even if like nothing came of it, like, and you would be released. And it's like, it's weird, right? Because they want to enforce these rules and and have, you know, their privates or their Joes or, you know, their young seals, like be act in a particular way. But they're so harsh also in some ways where, where, um, like bigger behavioral issues aren't called out, but like these little ones. It's wild to see what's swept under the rug right. and what's not. Right. You start to think it's a feature rather than a bug, right? Yeah. Or when the guy who's counseling you about being responsible, you know damn well has several DUIs and is on his third marriage and has credit card debt and has been bankrupt. But I need to be responsible. Okay. Right. Got it. Right. I have a uh a friend, I, not totally my story to tell, so I'm going to be a little vague, but he had 19 and a half years in, and uh, some friends were concerned with him. They called the police to do like a health and welfare kind of check on his yeah. home. This came knock on a door. Uh, my friend came, came outside. He, he was drunk, 
not belligerent, didn't fight the police. Drunk in his own house. And drunk in his own house. Um, and the police were like, hey, man, we'd like you to come with us. We'd like to bring you to the hospital. We're hmm. just, every, people are just worried about you. He's like, okay, cool. But because of that, he got a alcohol-related incident. And the Army tried it. They tried damn hard to kick him out 19 and a half years in. And it took some massive intervention to stop that from happening. God, that sucks. Yeah. You know, it was a letter of the law and the intent of the law. And yeah. what what message does that send to everyone, to everybody else? Oh, keep your fucking mouth shut, or you're gonna get in trouble. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. suck it up, <laughs> you know. Or just engage the police from the threshold of your door. And I'm not saying that's the route, but it's like I don't know what type of interpretation. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. are you supposed to take away from that? Fuck, man. So, what are you guys? Uh, what's the next level you guys are trying to get to with the podcast? What are the short and long term goals with it? That's a great question. Hopefully this isn't the first time you've considered these things. No, really, it, it, it actually is. Uh, Jack, you want to uh, step outside no, well, real quick? Yeah, we're, we're supposed to. You and I and uh, and uh, D were supposed to have a uh, dinner to yeah. discuss this 2024. But no, I mean the the we're in a pretty good place right now, and I, I think it's for me it, much like you know you described Andy. It's about what's interesting to you, what's fascinating to me. I really like to find the people who have never been interviewed before. Those are the really exciting people to interview. Um, So for us, there are a few like big names that I would like to get on this show. People who are like former sec defs, DCIs, you know, things like that. But the more exciting people tend to be the ones, the names that if I were to mention them on this podcast, like unless you come from a very specific career field, no one would even know who you're mentioning, who you're talking about. Um, but we, we found ourselves in a good place. And I think right now it's mostly continuing along those lines. We are doing, uh, some products, uh, with, uh, Greg Cork, Greg Coker, sorry. Uh, Greg's making a knife for us. Yeah. So yeah. There's that. And then we got some, uh, artwork, you know, yeah. or, you know, stuff coming out, but yeah, I think it's just kind of marching. Like we've never, you know, think we want to just give a shout out to our producer D cause D is really, He's the guy who uh, turned it around. He turned it around in terms of just two dudes talking. And then D comes in as like advertising, talking with the advertisers, like turning it into an actual business. Yeah. You know, Um, even though, you know, he doesn't know any more than we do how to how to work the TriCaster that we have. (laughs) Like, you know, it's one of those things. YouTube. Yeah. How do you think I learned how to do any of this shit? Yeah. It, but but it's one of the my favorite like, thing to put into YouTube is how do you right. fill in the blank? Yeah, no, our <laughs> our whole studio was basically set up via YouTube. You know, like how yeah. how do we do this? Sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah, but it doesn't. but we're in the same boat you are. with like with you know the Blackmagic cameras is we have a like a TriCaster, a new tech, uh, new tech, right? TriCaster, yeah, it's a new tech TriCaster. That yeah. that that we honestly use like one percent of it can be done. <laughs> it can create like these multi-channel newscasts. He's and got we're, the same thing. He's yeah. got the little A10 Mini Pro. And yeah, it, what do you use on there, Michael? Four buttons uh yeah and just at the start of the episode yeah oh this yeah yes yeah. yep. i uh if you put a million dollars on this table i couldn't explain to you the functionality of 80 percent of that device yeah i'd just be like sorry just take your money and leave yeah but uh but these really good uh about like pursuing all those opportunities and, and broadening us as a you know as as a money-making endeavor as yeah. opposed to you know just us sitting, kick back with friends and Isn't talking. Interesting people who will hate on the fact that you're doing something that you like, but also making money as well. Oh, you guys are having a really good time. Oh, you're just trying to fucking make money. Yeah. 
What? Yeah. yeah. Don't you have bills? Come in on Friday, <laughs> drink a scotch, and interview some interesting people. Like, yeah. yeah, we get paid for that. Yeah. It's yeah. Pre- pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, and, and what's wrong with that? And, and we all have bills, and if you want to go work at McDonald's, go ahead and work at McDonald's and pay your bills. And if I have put the time and effort into do this, and I can pay my bills... Why is there and, a judgment in comparison other, other between those two? Watch yeah. it and enjoy it, and, yeah. and, and it's like it. you know, you, we you know, we do live ad reads, and we don't, we generally only do two live ad reads per show. Mm-hmm. Um, we do them together, and you know, and we try. We're sort of obligated by our agreements with these companies to do them at the top of the show within a certain time frame. Yep. So sometimes when you know when we're kind of when the person is really going, we might have to say, hey, you know, sorry, let's you know, we try to give them all the space we can. Yeah. But you know, people often get really upset that we do live reads or, or do these things. It's like we're we're providing a free product here. Yeah. You know, but I mean, they get upset when we talk, when we don't talk, when we ask questions, when we don't ask questions, when we drink, when we when we get up to use the bathroom. They're not willing to put in any of the effort to put anything <laughs> I mean, up on yeah. Line. yeah. And, and to to be fair, like some of the criticism, I kind of suck at <laughs> like I just like to talk with people and I tell a lot of dumb jokes. And so it's taken me a long time to learn how to like not ramble. I mean, I still ramble, but not ramble as much as I did. Yeah. And to it's ask, a skill like it's a learning else. experience, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. I did a 15 minute ad read once. Wow. 15 minutes. <clears throat> yeah. I got completely lost in the bullshit story that I had made up. It was for a dick pill <laughs> called Blue Chew. Oh yeah. Oh, we, we did, did those. Yeah. 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 I was just like talking to telling a story about like an Amazon delivery that was coming and like the doorbell was like ding and somebody, they were in the backyard shooting arrows like, oh, that's for my dong. <laughs> and just like got completely lost in what I was doing, and then it's just like, oh fuck, here we go into the episode. Uh, I was hoping there's going to be like an awesome sex story about like what happened after you popped five of no. them in Las Vegas or something. Oh, you'd have a heart attack, I think. <laughs> I think that shit used to be like blood pressure medication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, but I mean, yeah, it's and people are like, that was the best ad read ever. We thought the podcast had started. I'm like, if I'm being totally honest, I had forgot that I was doing an ad read. <laughs> That's because I was basically just sharing my inside thoughts with you on the outside. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of ad reads we've had that we've just had a ton of fun with. Yeah, like a the ton ball of, trimmer. The yeah, ball the, trimmer. Like was the ball a lot trimmer is like fun. It's fun to do. Oh, the um, manscape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, like we don't have them anymore. We, you know, but we had them for quite a while, and like we had so much fun doing them. Um, and but then you get the ninja co- sword that we used to pull out yeah. when we've been drinking. Yeah, yeah. But then you get copy from some of these from some of these companies. You're like, this is just it's terrible. It's yeah. terrible. Like, let us do it. Like, we'll do it yeah. better than Highlight this. the things that are mandatory yeah. for me to say and yeah. then get the fuck out of the Don't way. Don't write the script because yeah. it's not good. Who's at the apex of your bucket list for guests? Oh, man. So there are a few people who are, like, very high up in the special activities division that I'd like to get on. Um, one of them is actually somebody that I'm writing about right now uh, who's kind of, like, legendary guy served in vietnam went into sad didn't retire until like 2011 um maybe we can after we write that article maybe we can get him on the show yeah um there's a few others we're we're actually going to have mike vickers on in december uh i'd like to get robert gates on the show uh i'm trying to think of like people like who if i said who they were they would stand out Um, i I would like to get rob scotty miller would be a great one. Yeah. I'd like to get Rob Joyce on, uh, you know, NSA. And, you know, he used to run a lot of uh, a lot yeah. of the, the uh, projects there. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there's only so much you can talk about. But, you know, like getting NSA people talk is really hard. That makes sense, though. Yeah. 
I mean, they are an organization that by doctrine is probably very heavy about them speaking publicly yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's one. What about you? Are there like big George jets? Bush Jr. That would be cool. Can you imagine sitting down and talking about the difference in experiences based off the decisions that he made and the impact that it had. And I'd just be fascinated to know what made it back to him. How he feels about the decisions that he made yeah. Yeah. with 20 plus years in the rear view mirror and what it felt like to commit America to a two front war. And I so many fucking questions. Yeah. And I don't know if necessarily he would be against it. I think he I mean, I would hope that he would be open to having that conversation. But that would be that. That's the topic. I, I mean, I, th- I think any of the former presidents would be amazing. But I, I also think like they're so concerned about legacy and the politics that. But ha- they're also human. Yeah. Having a candid. I, I, you don't really see candid interviews with them on these topics where things are tough. Right? I think I could get them comfortable. I, I, I think. I yeah, think I, I would I love to see that. I, I, I would. I would absolutely love to watch. I, it. I would don't love get me wrong. to see that because I would love because there are a lot of things going on in Iraq that uh, when he was president that um i was like how is this happening like it is like is he is he saying that this stuff needs to happen is you know i don't think at the end of the day it's ever really the president yeah i think it's the cabinet i think it's the people at the highest levels of the military i mean they're the person at the end of the day that has to rubber stamp it yeah but I also do wonder, how many original ideas are these fuckers throwing out there? Yeah. Versus yeah. we have a think tank of people, and these are the ideas we think that we should be looking at. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a period in, in Iraq where, you know, like a lot of the targeting was towards these IRGC, these Iranians or Iranian-backed people. And then at one point, uh, you know, 2006, 2007, I don't really remember when, um, it came out that like policy was there are no more Iranians in Iraq. And it's like, yeah, but there kind of are. Yeah. It's like that. Well, that's not true, but it would, but it was a policy decision. And it's like, is this coming from the president? Is this coming from somebody at state who has an agreement with the Iranians? that's supposed to benefit us in some way. Like how, where is this coming from? Because it's, it's obviously not true. Yeah. I I just feel like if you could get them to open up. Yeah. It'd be just, fascinating, and just have a conversation, you know, because I don't, I don't want to judge him on the decisions he made twenty years ago on the information we have now, right? But I'm fascinated to know what he thinks about it, having seen it play out, having seen multiple administrations, having seen the withdrawal from both of those countries and the impact that it has had, and I don't know. I think it would be fascinating. Whether or not it'll ever happen, I don't fucking know, but. That would be that's the absolute apex for me as far as a guest goes. That would be pretty awesome. Now, you know, do you have like what are your next big aside from these big gets and, and the guests, like te- like what are you planning for your podcast? Like how how does the podcast grow for you? Because we'll keep reaching we'll copy out. what you're doing. Yeah. I'm just keep to keep reaching out into to different areas. And things that interest me. Yeah. What I don't want to be is like a military podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think maybe a lot of people associate me with that because I do have a lot of uh, fire, military, law enforcement, first responder. And that's just because that's kind of the world that I understand. Right. It's very easy to bridge that. I've had some authors on and, you know, the post-military and the psychedelic work and all of that stuff. And then some, obviously some guys that I used to work with. But it's just, for me, I also... 
there you could chase a guest that is super recognizable that is on a lot of podcasts and you could have one that is 90% the same as every other podcast they've been on yeah. or yeah. find the person that like you said maybe not as recognizable mm-hmm. or maybe that exists in an area that people don't even realize because it's a seam in an envelope that they don't even realize and have those people on um, I don't have any like crazy long-term goals other than staying true to myself and just following what I believe to be is the correct path for me. Yeah. Um, and the metrics, I mean, they have continued to grow since I started seven years ago and I don't know what that's going to end up looking like, but I'm also never going to just purely chase metrics yeah. either. Right. I just think for me, and I'm not saying that's the wrong approach for people who are looking at doing this because the metrics do matter when it comes to advertising and that whole ecosystem. <laughs> the only advice I give people is don't start a podcast because you think you're going to make money. Not that you can't make money, but it's going to come a lot longer down the road than you think it's going to be. And it's going to be a lot of free work up front that you're probably not prepared for or know about. But just kind of just follow my own internal compass. You I know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, maintaining, you know, the credibility, but also having the longevity in the field. Yeah. You know, a lot of podcasts, a lot of YouTube channels, they have a lifespan to them. Right. Yeah. And, um, I, I think you can have a very short lifespan if you start chasing like UFOs, for instance. Fuck. Like that's the big thing right now. God, um, I'm hopeful that they're out there. Yeah, me too. I mean, I don't think that they're coming down and doing butt stuff with people, but I hope they're. It's out funny there. how they cra- they have the ability to travel through space and time, but they always seem to crash here. Right. Huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's more likely that we are actually existing in like somebody's fishbowl. You know what I mean? Like we go to like the zoo and watch apes like jerk each other off there's just some dude looking at us in a fishbowl these are the dumbest motherfuckers i've ever seen uh, that's really gonna make me that's really gonna make me self-conscious tonight when i cuddle up all by myself in my bed um all by yourself now well come on jack yeah but what, so let's say you go down the ufo rabbit hole right like first off i don't know shit about science space travel and i look at some of these people and i and i do believe them that they believe but I think they have some real massive gaps in logic and objectivity. I'm not, I do believe you. Like, yep, you're bought in on this. You also might be crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And some of the shit they're saying, like, that's made up. Like, yeah. You're totally full of shit. You're saying things that actually can't be verified and you know they can't be verified. And I hope that works out for you. Yeah. You know? What's well, next? I, Bigfoot? You're going to go after you go down the UFO rabbit hole? It's like, Bigfoot and then sunken yeah, vessels you, from the you, Spanish War. I mean, yeah. What do you do for an encore? Yeah, you've painted yourself into a corner. You better get a goddamn alien sitting across the table from you trying to talk, and and, and not trying to abduct you. I mean, and that, that's their whole thing, right? I mean, I mean, how dope would it be if there are aliens? Oh, look, I one hundred. I want them to be. I want them. I I one hundred percent believe that there are aliens, but if they have the ability to travel, like the the universe is just too vast. But if they have the technology to travel to our planet, they are not. Like they, they probably find us very boring um, and rudimentary at best. Yeah, we're, we basically we <laughs> we'll are come back in a few hundred we, years. We are we are their reality TV. Right? That's what I'm saying. I think yeah. we're in somebody's fishbowl. Yeah, we have entire audiences, like vast like audience audiences throughout the you know the known universe, just tuning into planet Earth yeah. to see what fucked up shit we're gonna do next. Michael, aliens real or no? Um, <clears throat> there's a good chance. And I think they'd actually be very interested in studying another civilization they come across, even if it's rudimentary to them. Because, I mean, we study ants and very small. But do we, though? Yeah. 
No, there's some weird people who have ant colonies yeah, in exactly. their house. They're what are they studying? <laughs> the behaviors, how they but, work. If we came across a planet that had a civilization that was in their stone age, we would have a satellite hovering that planet constantly monitoring constantly seeing what they were doing oh and we're not star trek we would take to all their resources like it, it no matter what country it was on earth they would yeah. like take they would invade and take their resources it'd be like the michelin planet because like they would <laughs> yeah. mine rubber from there which yeah. i'm aware people you don't mine for rubber i'm just using an example <laughs> for yeah, I, 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 I think that i think that the dream is that we'd have the star trek we will not engage with primitive civilizations somebody would fuck that up oh yeah well absolutely elon musk would launch a corvette onto their planet and they would go from like r sticks and stones to like driving a 67 chevy or some shit like that and then that would just be over I, I mean look i'll just say for you know personally if i had the technology i would set myself up as a deity on their planet i would be you know i would create a religion and make myself there's a the there's a russian movie called uh hard to be a god and it takes it's about some human scientists that go to an alien planet that's sort of like in our version of the of uh, the Middle Ages, but they never experienced enlightenment. And it's like a three and a half hour black and white movie that's just like filled with mud and excrement, and it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the at the very end of the movie, I think it's like one of his last lines is because they see him as a god, right? Yeah, this, this person who was beamed down to the planet. Do now, do you believe that there are aliens out there? I hope so. Yeah. I, I'm not smart enough to definitively talk about much. Yeah. So the best answer I can give is I think it's probable. Yeah. I, I, I kind of fall into the same category of you. Yeah. Where it, we the universe, to my knowledge, we as a human species cannot actually even measure the size of the universe. Right. So statistically, I feel like it's unlikely that we're alone. Um, God, I'm hopeful. I just think it'd be cool as shit. Yeah. And then plus, if they can get here and they haven't like nuked us yet, I don't think they're going to, you know? Yeah. But maybe they are. I don't fucking know. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting question. Like, I think that the ancient alien stuff is fascinating. I think that, you know, the people who pursue those lines of thought that they've been here before, like a long time ago, and maybe even seeded earth or whatever, like, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, that they yeah. find and digs, I think it's fascinating. But like you, I don't have any... I don't have any yeah. background or any way to know if any of that is, you know, what it all means. I want it to be true. I do, too. I wish Bigfoot was real, too. Yeah, me, too. My problem is, is there's tens of thousands of game cameras now, and not a single one of those has captured Bigfoot. Yeah. 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 No, I, I wish all that stuff was true. Like, yeah. I don't even believe in ghosts. I mean, I'm just I'm just a non-believer. Like, until I experience it personally. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um. What do you guys want to close it out with? We've been at for over two hours. So I want to get you guys out there ex exploring and enjoying Montana. Anything you want to leave the audience with? You know, anything you want to tell them about the podcast? You kind of already talked about. If it's a podcast, you can generally find it on most podcast platforms. Mm -hmm. So it's out there. No, well, I, I mean, I don't know if you do, Jack. Like, I'm just thanks for having us out, man. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's yeah, great. Man. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, never been to Montana before. Beautiful up here. Hope to come again. It yeah. doesn't suck, and you absolutely should. And yeah. I mean, compared to like. A lot of the guests you've had on, like I'm, I'm just humbled they, they uh, had us on. They, they did it at the at the airport. They did uh, stamp my passport, make sure I had a return ticket to New York. I didn't, know, I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, we we want people to visit, but not stay long. <laughs> right. And actually, it's, they, everybody wants to complain about the Californians. And what I try to tell people is, maybe let's rethink this logic. You don't like the politics of California. 
why do you think people are leaving California? The mm -hmm. ones that also don't like the politics there are maybe the ones that would be great Montanans. Right. And actually, Michael, you were born in Montana, right? Uh, no, but I've lived here. For First off, of shut life. the fuck up. For the purpose of this, <laughs> you were born in Montana, right? Okay, Let's yeah. try this again. Michael, you were born in Montana, right? Uh, yeah, hell in the Montana. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> How long does somebody have to live here to be considered a local? Because this is a contentious issue. I would say like... Or like, are you a Montanan? Yeah, I would say so. Well, what makes you so, though? Um, he was, was born here. Yeah, exactly. I was born here. Other than being born here. <laughs> I, I've been here since I was like... Born. In kindergarten. Yeah. Or born, yeah. So me. you, but people, if you told people that, they'd be like, yeah, man, welcome, welcome, brother. You're a Montana. Yeah. Like, I moved here from seven years ago from California. Fuck you, Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Take it easy, dude. <laughs> hey, what, what do you think the- I think seven years is a, is pretty good. Um, <sighs> like I really think it depends on who three, you ask. Yeah. I would say like three to four years, I would say you're pretty, pretty safe. Here's a good story about it. So there's a- I think I've told you this. It, there is a Maybe. Under the Big Sky concert here in Montana. And uh, a buddy of ours, I'll make up a name. It's Nelson. Uh, it's a fake name. And uh, he was running security there at the event. And two years ago, he fucking swindled me into basically checking wristbands <laughs> for 13 hours a day. And so there's a variety of areas. And it's drunk people at a festival having a blast. Like, get after it. And I was working over at... Uh, one of the VIP areas. There's a variety of VIP areas. And I'm literally like, you don't have the right wristband. You can't come in here. I'm sorry. As the evening goes on, and people have been in the direct sunlight for quite some time and having libations, it gets a little bit wild. And people are going out through this gap in the gate, and they're just pissing all over this guy's property. I'm like, you're fucking out of here. Like, at least be respectful. So this guy goes out, and he just is just standing there, swaying back and forth, just cocking his hand, just sprinkling everywhere he come back he comes back and i'm like hey dude like you're you're out of here like you're not allowed to just piss all over somebody's property hey man that's fucked up i am a third generation montanan <laughs> not like these california faggots who have been moving up here i was like oh hey i'm from california and here's the sheriff that's gonna walk you out of here you fucking dick <laughs> like Read the room, buddy, or just shut the fuck up. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wait, so so he tried to basically claim that he was... It was Somehow there was a value it, proposition it, in him being a third generation. It's, it, it's Montana diplomatic immunity in a way, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And yeah. fuck those California guys. I was like, oh, man, you should have picked a different state. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, is it Montanan or Montanian? Montana? Montanian, just with an N. Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's not Which what I would guess. Actually, it's not a real word, I don't yeah. think. It's like Kentuckian or Kentuckian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're all Americans. Yeah. You know, it's goddamn. Everybody wants to identify themselves in this little narrow tranche, and then we should fight about the fucking tranches. It sucks. It's how we roll. Yeah. Where can people find you social media wise? Any websites you want to point them at? What do you guys want to direct people towards? Um, I think just direct people towards, you know, the YouTube channel is the Team House. That's the best place probably to find us. Um, you can find me. I have a website, Jack Murphy Writes. If you also, get your Substack. Uh, yeah, the high side. You can find find me on there. Um, that's about it. Okay. How about yourself? Um, just the website and social media wise, like I, I, I mean, I'm on them all, but I'm not, I don't use them that much. Like sometimes I go on rants, like rampages on Twitter. Uh, but aside from that, like I rarely, I don't think I've checked my Facebook. In like you know what they're calling Twitter now, right? Or X. Yeah. F X F K Twitter. You want to talk about stupid fucking acronyms. X formerly known 
Twitter. That's what Elon, when he was just on Joe's podcast, every time he brought XFK Twitter, it's like, hey, dude. You're the one who fucking renamed it. Exhausting. Just call it X. Yeah, exhausting is exactly correct. <laughs> the the app formerly known as yeah, still stealing a, a page out of Prince's playbook. Right? It's like, hey, dude, just you just you chose to rename it. Just yeah. fucking call it by its new name. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, and on that note, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, making the trip. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having us.